What's good, y'all? Welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. I'm your host for today, one of your hosts for today, Simon Villanos, a.k.a. Coach V. And this is episode 199. We got your week two Colorado high school football recap right here. Here's the move. We're going to go ahead and go day by day, talk about all the important games that happened, some quick uh, stories here and there. Uh, We do have a couple games that we went to this last weekend where we'll have more in-detailed recaps for those. And then once we get all of that done, we're going to go ahead, talk about playmakers of the week, all the candidates, and then who I ultimately choose to be your week two PMC playmakers of the week. 1 through 5A, uh, each level will have one athlete that we pick. And then after that, we're going to talk power rankings. Not a whole bunch of uh, changes here as a whole. We do have a couple, but you know we'll talk about that when we get there. All right, now let's go ahead and recap the games from September 1st, Thursday, last week, starting with Fairview versus Lakewood. Fairview, 69, Lakewood, 24. Fairview goes ahead and takes care of business. Rowan Reisner has a career day. 537 passing yards to seven touchdowns. Did though four picks, but still though did do a good job there. Then Jordan Rochelle, uh, just being an all-around athlete for them, had 81 rushing yards, a rushing touchdown, 10 receptions, 168 receiving yards, and two receiving touchdowns doing his thing there. Then we got Chatfield going to Florida to play Port Lucie, I want to say. Unfortunately, lost to them 28-17. Brock Narva did get 11 carries for 46 yards and a touchdown. Other than that, the passing game kind of struggled a little bit, so there you go. Um, Now down to the 2A level, we got the Academy facing off in their season opener versus newcomer program Timnith, and they go ahead and take care of business winning 64-0. Staying in the area, we got Arvada West versus Boulder. Arvada West avenging last week's close loss, but beating Boulder 56-0, the first win of the season. Ethan Cook won 15-20 for 285 yards, whopping 6 touchdowns, no turnovers here for him and then you got freshman running back adrian samala rushed six times for 55 yards and a touchdown i believe that's his first varsity touchdown so congrats to adrian there and then brady witherspoon at receiver led with six receptions 130 yards and two touchdowns in this big time dub then we got Skyline versus Stanley Lake. This was a close one. Skyline just barely beat uh, Stanley Lake here 14-13. to 13. Stanley Lake's Blake Stout ran for 105 yards and both of those touchdowns, but unfortunately just came up a little bit short. Then we got Aurora Central versus Hinkley. Aurora Central beat them 56-0. to uh, Overland, they beat Prairie View 35-21, to doing their thing there. Then Eden played University last year. This was a big-time rivalry game. A lot of close games, but Eden still swept. And things didn't quite change despite Eden losing their Week 1 matchup to TCA. They go ahead and get back on track, beating University 41-6. to Walker Martin, 13 of 17, 193 yards, 3 touchdowns. D'Angelo Rosas, uh, 7 rushes for 67 yards. Joey Blaskowski, 2 receptions, 41 yards, 2 touchdowns. Uh, Trent Salberg and Benson Hood each had a pick. 
And then for University, uh, Logan Getting is currently injured, I want to say. Uh, did go in for receiver, which was interesting, but he's not playing quarterback. Instead, it is Johnny Wyrick. He went 14 of 34, 163 yards, two picks. Uh, Cole Croset, I want to say. He had four receptions, 40 yards, and a touchdown. Keon Baxley on defense, eight tackles. Tackle for loss, one sack, one forced fumble, and recovery. Doing his thing there, but not quite enough as the University does lose a tough one there. Then we got Grandview versus Fossil Ridge here, and Grandview took care of business 49 to 17. Liam Zarka won 11 16 for 243 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, Chase the here at running back, 12 carries, 114 yards, and a touchdown. Um, out of the backfield, they also had two other rushers who had 90 yards, at least 90 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, Simon Kibbe, the big tight end, five receptions, 98 yards, a touchdown. And then shout out to our guy, Zay Nito. Uh, he's a sophomore this year, but he had one reception for 47 yards and a touchdown. On the other side, Foster Ridge is uh, Tyler Kubat, 115 of 30 for 256 yards, two touchdowns, one pick. Uh, Trek Keyworth had nine receptions, 158 yards and a touchdown. But like I said, not enough as Grandview did win 49 to 17. Now staying in the north here, Wellington won their first game in program history, beating Highland. 38 to 26 Tanner Gray at quarterback for them was three of seven for 141 yards two touchdowns uh an interception as well but it was Cash Altshager I want to say hopefully I'm saying that right if I'm not I apologize who really turned up for this team on 22 carries at 278 yards and two touchdowns also had two receptions for 127 yards and two touchdowns. And then on defense, he also had a tackle and an interception. Doing it all uh, as well there. Uh, by the way, Tanner Smith for this team, six hurries. And then for Highland, Isaac De Santiago, 15 carries and 87 yards. Like I said, not quite enough as Wellington goes ahead and gets their first win in program history. Congrats to them. And then going out to the west side of Colorado, we have Fruta Monument versus Monchos. Uh, two teams, programs who had very similar years last year. But here's how it went down. Fruta Monument would go ahead and take care of business versus Monchos, beating them 30-14. to Case and Stegelmeyer, 16 rushes, 118 yards. Corbin Rowell, 23 carries, 90 yards, two rushing touchdowns. And then Wyatt Sharp had 11 carries, 36 yards, and a touchdown as that trio leads them to a dub. Uh, just wanted to throw this out there. At one point, Fruita Monument was up 21-0, but Montrose scored before half, making it 21-7. And then Montrose would only score one more time uh, to start the fourth quarter. But by that point, it was basically over, and Fruita Monument got it done. Uh, moving on, though, we got Legend versus Pomona. Legend beats Pomona of 42-0. John Brookhart, 10-16, 216 yards, three touchdowns. Alex Martinez, 10 rushes, 87 yards. Shout-out to our guy, though, freshman running back Ryken Banks. Seven rushes, 74 yards, and a touchdown. Believe that is his first varsity touchdown. So congrats to him as Legend takes care of business against a Pomona team that is definitely on the downs there. Then down south in Pueblo, we got Pueblo East versus Pueblo Central. Uh, Pueblo East pulls out a close one, 39 to 33. Zayden Stevens, 17 of 33 for 218 yards, did throw one pick, but ran for uh, 36 yards and three touchdowns. They're getting the job done and getting a very quality win here. Then we got Basalt versus Battle Mountain. Uh, Basalt won 43 to eight. We got Moffat County versus Steamboat Springs. Moffat County won 33 to 20. 
Uh, Steamboat Springs is Jesse Hamrich did though, or he went 30 of 49 for 340 yards, three touchdowns, two picks. Austin Moore had seven receptions for 102 yards, two touchdowns. Also had 17 tackles on defense, but Moffat County got it done there. Then we got Platte Valley versus Weld Central. They won a close one there, 18 to 14. Uh, Range Review, they took care of business versus Westminster, 34-18. Lewis Palmer beat Coronado, 43-19. Lincoln won a game versus Mitchell, 22-8. And then Faith Christian took care of business versus Prospect Ridge Academy, 49-7. Now, coming up next, I'm going to go ahead and talk about a thrilling game on Thursday night. Uh, for a matchup between Wildfield and Air Academy. And then right after that, we'll have Cody's recap of Horizon versus Eagle Crest. What's good, y'all? Uh, so let's go ahead and recap this Thursday night game between Air Academy versus Wildfield. To start this game, Air Academy actually would receive, and they got a pretty good return. They'd start on the 45 here going in. Now, couple plays later we had a tough sam beers run up the middle and then an incompletion brings up a third and three but it does not matter as air academy per usual they're going to rely on sam beers to help power this offense and he goes ahead and picks up the first down on a sweep right after that they go ahead and get a huge throw to number 80 of air academy Braden doherty finding his guy uh i believe it's dave rogers for a huge play that goes ahead and puts them inside the five in the red zone here and they go ahead and run it up the middle with sam beers to cap this drive off to start the game making it seven to zero after the pat with 10 minutes and 12 seconds left just like that after that wide field they get a nice return of their own and they take over on the 46 going in to start this drive for Widefield, they go ahead and give it to the running back slash fullback. At least that's what's listed on Max Preps. Braden Tomatos Burros, who had a very good game this game here. And he's kind of their power uh, runner here as he goes ahead and gets a tough, and I mean tough, 26 yards on two carries. First one was right up the middle for six yards. The second one, he bulldozes over a couple players and gets a tough gain of roughly 20 yards. Uh, getting a first down, obviously, uh, between those two runs and crossing midfield. Now they do hit third and six after an incompletion and a Gabriel Segura run. But they go ahead and try to get something going here on third down, throwing a quick hitter on the screen. But it is incomplete, and so that brings up a fourth and six. And right here, Whitefield decides to go for it. They're on uh, the other side of the field, just barely, but they're on the other side of the field. And so they go for it here. They throw a nice screen pass to Gabriel Segura, number seven. He gets a huge gain and puts them in the red zone. Um, about a gain of about 20-ish yards, uh, give or take. Unfortunately, though, a couple bad snaps, not just one, but two bad snaps would make it third and 38. And, you know, they tried to take a deep shot downfield. I mean, Air Academy, they're kind of just waiting on it. It's third and 38. What else are they going to do? And so they eventually punt it and Air Academy takes over on the 20 here. And so here we go, Air Academy with a chance to extend their lead here in the first quarter. They go ahead and have a third and... 
uh, third and two situation after a couple plays and Sam Beers per usual goes ahead and gets the first down extending this drive on a sweep um, they do throw a sideline warning penalty on wide field here so there you go but after that they go ahead and run a jet sweep to number 11 I believe that's Joey McLaughlin and he goes for 20 yards great blocking here just a great play to call and gets a first down obviously getting them across midfield at this point there's about four minutes left in the first quarter then once again you know Braden Doherty he goes ahead the quarterback for Eric Academy he goes ahead and rolls out and he finds number 80 Rodgers for another big gain of at least 20 plus yards here uh and that gets them in the red zone and once in the red zone you already know what time it is it is beers time sam beers that is as he goes ahead and takes the sweep to the left and scores a touchdown with 325 left here in the first quarter now they missed the pat and so it is 13 to 0 but still a two score lead Widefield on their second drive takeover on the 20 after a, after a touchback. And here's what happened. They go ahead and give it to Braden DeMatos Burrows, who gets them a nice couple yards here, a nice five-yard run. But then there's another incompletion. This pass game kind of just struggling to get going here early on. But they do not struggle for too long here as Paul Mitchell, number nine, the quarterback for Widefield, hits number 21, Walker Matthews, on a beautiful out route in rhythm. And Walker Matthews does the rest from there and takes this one 75 yards to the house on an out route, um, just tiptoeing that sideline, going up the right side, breaking a bunch of tackles. And there he goes. Widefield cuts into this lead. After the PAT, it is 13-7 with only 2 minutes 27 seconds left in the first quarter. A lot of games still to be played here. And so Air Academy, they go ahead and take over on the 27 here. And they're looking to respond back right away. But Widefield first gets a huge tackle for loss on defense. But no worries here as Braden finds his guy McLaughlin for a first down on a nice little pass. After that, once again, Whitefield gets another tackle for loss on first down. An incompletion on second then brings up kind of a tough third and 11. But no worries here. The quarterback for Air Academy throws it deep to number 11, Joey McLaughlin, who catches the ball, runs for a little bit. He's racing towards the end zone. Then he is tackled just short. And as he is tackled, he fumbles the football. That's right. The ball does come out. It's not an incompletion. He definitely took more than a couple of steps. And the ball comes out. It looks like Wyfield might have just gotten a big break here as they might be able to recover this fumble. But it's actually an Air Academy teammate who recovers the fumble in the end zone for a touchdown on a very lucky play, <laughs> to be honest with you. You know, uh, Joey McLaughlin, first off, was wide open. So he had a lot of space to operate, and he took off downfield. And he was very lucky that a teammate just happened to be there to scoop up the football and basically run the last yard or so to get in. I could not see who it was. I'm just going to be straight up honest. It was kind of a pile there. But Air Academy, regardless, gets the touchdown. This time, hit the PAT and take a 20-7 to lead with 29 seconds left in the first quarter widefield here they want to get something going to respond after that and so they take over on the 20 after the touchback um and that's basically how the first quarter ends here in the second quarter 
Um, Paul Mitchell, he finds his guy, Gabriel Segura, for the first down on a nice quick hitter. After that, it is Braden Matos Burroughs. Tough running right up the middle. Gets nine yards on first. Unfortunately, a false start makes it second and six for Widefield. But doesn't matter. Braden Matos Burroughs once again bails them out of that situation with tough running right up the middle and gives them a first down. Then after that, Gabriel Segura, he gets the direct snap here and he takes off down the left sideline for a huge 40 plus yard rush just hitting that outside and um getting outside of that contain there and he puts them in the red zone off of that play after that there's an incompletion on a would-be touchdown just barely lands just out on first down the receiver that is he caught the ball and whatnot but he just landed outside and so there you go but it does not matter paul mitchell on the power option Pitches it to number one, Jalen Sankey, who races 20 yards to the pylon for a huge touchdown. Now, they try to go for two here, but it's incomplete. Still, though, Whitefield cuts into this lead, stays in it 20-13 to 13 here. Both teams have missed an extra point at this point, so it's not that big of a deal. Um, there is 9 minutes and 15 seconds left in the second quarter. A lot of fireworks early on here. Now, Air Academy trying to keep those fireworks going here. You know, they get going, and there's unfortunately an offsides penalty thrown on Widefield, so that makes it an easier uh, first and five. But a couple plays later, it's third and two after a Sambers run in incompletion. But it does not matter as Braden Doherty powers up the middle on a quarterback keeper and gets the first down. Now, right after that, uh, before they can run the first down play, there's a false start. And so Air Academy, they're at uh, 1 or 1st and 15, that is. But does not matter as Sam Beers on the misdirection gets a nice 15-plus yard rush here. And that gives them a first down and it crosses midfield. Then after that, there's a false start. <laughs> on a wide field corner, a lot of penalties on this specific drive, which more or less mattered. And Air Academy gets another first down here after a short throw because it was only first and five. A couple plays later, it's third and six after a short run, but does not matter. Braden Doherty rolls out right, finds his guy number 21, shouts in Krasinski on a 10 plus yard uh, reception here that gives Air Academy the first down on the 14 in the red zone. Uh, shouts in here does get a little bit shaken up, takes a bit of a licking, but it does not matter. He does get off the field and he does come back later in this game, so he is okay. After that, uh, you know, they run a couple plays, brings up third and eight after an incompletion in a short Sam Beers run. And so third and eight in the red zone, Braden Doherty for Air Academy rolls out right, throws a beautiful ball to the corner, the back corner of the end zone to the right side. But unfortunately, it is dropped by the receiver. The defense was there, the corner was there, um, but it was probably a ball that the receiver could have caught. And so that brings up a fourth and eight here. Air Academy, they decide to kick the field goal, but it is no good. They are not able to get this one. And so Widefield takes over on the 12 with a chance to go ahead and tie this one up before halftime. And so here's how it goes down. They got three minutes, 16 seconds left. 
basically a two-minute drill. Uh, they are on the 12th. And so here we go. Paul Mitchell throws it short to number 21, Walker Matthews, who gains 26 yards after the catch and a first down. Great play by Walker there. But then the uh, refs, they do throw a penalty on a wide field. And so just like that, it is first and 25. And so we got an incompletion, then another penalty uh, repeating it. So it's second and 25 after that game. But Paul Mitchell, he makes the most out of this situation, scrambles out, brings up a manageable third and 12 here. And then he makes a beautiful throw over the middle and a tough catch uh, by number 14, Nathaniel Haight, I want to say, who gives Whitefield a huge first down to cross midfield. And he got laid out on that play, but just an excellent catch there. Great throw in time. Uh, as well keeping this drive alive and so here we go um, there's about a minute nine seconds left widefield after the widefield timeout sorry and so after that uh, Mitchell he goes that he finds Gabriel Segura on a first down um, and that gives them their second consecutive first down in a row after that he finds number 21 Matthews again for an out route for their third consecutive first down at this point there's about 44 seconds left then it's second and 10 after the spike. We have 36 seconds left, plenty of time. Paul Mitchell after that then checks it down to his running back, I believe, to escape a sack. It was either that or take the sack. He couldn't throw it out because then it would be intentional grounding. Um, and so Widefield has to take a timeout with 27, 27 seconds left. And so on third down, they try to run and play, but... Paul Mitchell gets sacked, and so that brings up a fourth down and kind of long here. And so realizing they can't spike it here, they go ahead, call play real quickly, go hurry up. And so they do get a playoff right before half. Paul Mitchell aims towards the left side here, but it looks like there might have been some sort of miscommunication. Uh, it kind of seemed like if the receiver finished running his route, that maybe he would have been able to score a touchdown, but instead he kind of stopped a little bit short and just posted up and tried to jump ball it. Uh, but it didn't work out, and so it's incomplete, and that ends the half. Air Academy with the lead 20-13. A slight scare there uh, right before half, though, as this wide-field offense did kind of catch fire and was in rhythm. Picking up where they left off the wide field, they go ahead and receive her and get a pretty good return. Almost breaks loose by number 24 and he gets them up to about the 43 yard line. And so to start this drive, it is Braden Tomatos Burrows with some more power running right up the middle. And he goes ahead and gets them a first down pass midfield. After that, Paul Mitchell on the read option goes 20 plus yards for a first down and they go ahead and get set up in the red zone after a nice play by Paul Mitchell. After that, more tough running by Braden. Tomatos Burrows really trying to put his stamp on this game. He goes ahead and gets them a third consecutive first down and just like that, they are inside the 10. Unfortunately, a false start on Widefield would make it a first and 12 here, but no worries here. Go ahead and get a tough sweep to number 21. I believe that is Matthews who gets the first and gets them just short on the two yard line, bringing up first down for Widefield. Then a couple plays later, it is Braden Dematos Burris. Power running up the middle, cannot be stopped. 
and goes ahead and gets the touchdown, tying it 20-20 after the PAT with 9 minutes and 24 seconds left. Just like that, Widefield is back in this game after being down 20-7 early on, so just keep that in mind. Air Academy, though, they're trying to get something going. They do take over on the 25, but a couple of nice plays by Widefield, including a tackle for loss, which is a loss for about 10 yards, uh, and then an incomplete pass goes ahead and results in a three and out. And so Widefield, with the chance to go ahead and take the lead here, try to get something going, and they get it on a very, very nice punt return. Special teams really stepping up here in the second half where they go ahead and take over on the opposing 35 going in. Unfortunately, there is a penalty thrown, and so they eventually start on the opposing 48 instead of 35, but still a nice return regardless. Now, a couple plays later, it is third and six here. Paul Mitchell on the power option goes ahead and pitches this one for the first down, keeping this drive alive here. And then it is Braden DeMontos Burroughs doing his thing, runs for a tough couple yards to go ahead uh, and get this thing started on first down. Then it's Mitchell. He checks it to number 18. And so that brings up a manageable third and four here. And then it's Braden DeMontos Burroughs who goes ahead and gets that first down for a nice gain and gives them... Um, or puts them, sorry, in the red zone on the 12-yard line. And then to cap off this drive, it is Paul Mitchell on the read option. Basically walks it in untouched and takes the lead for Widefield 27-20 with 4 minutes 4 seconds left here in this game. Now, Air Academy, they are struggling to get something going, to get in rhythm to start this thing. And unfortunately, they go 3 and out again after this wide field defense stops sam beers at the line of scrimmage on third and five and so they decide to punt wide field with a chance to extend their lead unfortunately kind of shoots themselves in the foot here and kills the vibe of uh, of all the rhythm as they do get a holding call on first down and so that brings up first and 20 and unfortunately they are not quite able to get out of that hole and so a couple incompletions later they end up punting it and go three and out and give it back to Air Academy to start the fourth quarter. And so Air Academy taking over kind of around midfield here. They're trying to get something going. The second half on offense hasn't quite been the same as the first half. And so, you know, in the fourth quarter, they're trying to dominate. And to dominate, you got to give it to a dominant player. And that is Sam Beers as he powers this drive, starts it with a nice run up the middle for uh, eight on first down. Then he gets the first on another run up the middle again. After that, uh, they try to run a jet sweep, but there's holding. And so that makes it first and 20 for Air Academy, kind of going backwards here. But then they hand it back off to Sam Beers, who finally breaks loose on a huge 30 plus yard run rumbling into the red zone here getting air academy into the red zone and sam beers once again a play later on second down would punch this one in to 
potentially tie this game with the nine minutes and 17 seconds left here in the fourth quarter. Like I said, this drive powered by Sam Beers. But unfortunately, this PAT is missed and it is 27 to 26. Noticeably some kicking struggles for Air Academy here. Uh, that is the fifth point that they have left off the board. They missed a PAT before and a field goal before. So there you go there. That probably would have mattered down the stretch. Well, it will matter down the stretch. And so here we go. Widefield with the lead still. Still feeling pretty confident here. Takes over on the 20 or sorry, on the 35. And here's how it goes down. Paul Mitchell at quarterback on the keeper goes ahead and gets the first down on the first play of this drive. Then it's Braden D'Amato's Burrows. Like I said, he's putting his stamp on this game as he powers forward for another first down and gets across midfield. Then it's Walker Matthews on the outside run right. Gets another first down as Widefield is grinding out this clock. Three consecutive first downs. After that, though, they decide to pass the ball, and a drop pass makes it third and seven here. Not the worst call here, you know, but... Probably would have ran it here. Doesn't matter though, as they just hand it off to Brandon DeMontos Burroughs on third and seven. And he breaks a tackle at the line and he makes it a very manageable fourth and short, probably fourth and inches here. And so naturally, they decide to go for it. And no surprises who they give it to. They give it to Brandon DeMontos Burroughs, who goes ahead and breaks a tackle and gets a first down, putting them in the red zone here. Then, with 7 minutes and 3 seconds left, they go ahead and decide to take a shot into the red zone. And it's Paul Mitchell dropping back. Hits his corner route. In stride. Beautiful ball here for the touchdown. But Paul Mitchell, the young quarterback, is not quite done yet. As they go ahead and decide to go for 2 here to extend this lead further for Widefield. And on the read option, Mitchell is the one who takes this one in. As they take... A commanding 34 to 26 lead here with about seven minutes left here. Six, uh, more like six minutes, 50 seconds left here in this game. So Air Academy, they take over. They are trying to respond here. But, you know, a couple tough plays, a couple tough run plays are stopped by Wildfield which does bring up a third and five. They try to throw it over the middle, but Widefield's defense comes up big. Gets a huge pass deflection, and that is a turnover on downs. Uh, getting that pass deflection on fourth down, by the way, fourth and five, with five minutes, 21 seconds left. And so Widefield, they go ahead and take over on the 35. And who else is going to ice this game but Braden? D'Amato's Burroughs as he powers forward on first down on a physical run to go ahead and get them another first down. Now, they go ahead and tag on the refs tag on a couple of personal fouls on Air Academy. So they get a couple more yards here. And so just like that, they are in the red zone here. A holding penalty, unfortunately, does make it first and 20. But a couple tough runs to grind out the clock here makes it a manageable third and one. And guess who it is that goes ahead and powers it up the middle on third and one? You guessed it, number 45, Raiden D.B. D'Amato's Burroughs, who goes ahead and powers it up the middle for the first down and the touchdown. Uh, and at the 3 minute 32 second mark, they take a 42 to 26 lead after the PAT. 
Now, Air Academy, man, they're... It's looking pretty bad after that Sam Beers uh, drive, basically, to start the fourth quarter. They have struggled quite a bit as Whitefield has been on fire on offense here, but not quite out of it just yet. They take over on the 39, and here we go. They get a first down on a nice slant route. After that, they get a huge catch by number 11. I believe that's Joey McLaughlin for a 20-plus yard gain, giving them another first down. At this point, Widefield, they're, you know, they're, they're letting up a couple big plays here. Braden Doherty taking advantage of that, though, and still taking advantage of that. Rolls out right and throws a dot to number 87 to get them a nice Air Academy touchdown as he reaches and he gets it. And they go ahead and go for two here, trying to make it an eight-point game, a manageable one-score game here. And so here's what happens. Braden Doherty rolls out right, and he finds a wide-open number 21. Uh, I believe that is Shelton Krasinski for Air Academy. And he brings it in and gets the two-point conversion. And just like that, with 2 minutes and 25 seconds left in this game, it is an 8-point game and Air Academy has all of their timeouts. And so they go ahead, they attempt the onside kick because, you know, why not? You might as well. If you get it, that's great. If not, they take over on the 40, right? And that's what they do. You know, wide field, they do take over on the 40. Slight scare there. They kind of muff the punt, or not the punt, the kick a little bit, but they still recover it, no matter. But you gotta guess who? It's Braden DeMontos Burroughs who comes up big for them, gets a huge run, just running it up the middle with him, and he eventually gets a first down, a couple first downs here that waste all of the Air Academy timeouts. At this point, there's a minute 17 seconds left. Air Academy had their chances to stop him, but really what it came down to, like you said, was Braden DeMontos Burroughs running it up the middle. Uh, specifically a third and sixth situation where he ran it up the middle and he got the first down and just like that Widefield goes into victory formation and they beat Air Academy avenging last year's one touchdown loss here and for the first time in a minute Widefield starts 2-0 to start the season while Air Academy drops to 1-1 losing a very tough game to a Widefield team and offense uh, honestly that just caught fire and found their rhythm. If I had to pick a player of a game had to be Braden DeMontos Burroughs. He played a heck of a game kept up the intensity all game was very physical on pretty much every single run and you know Air Academy they they brought the heat you know, but it was Braden Tomatos Burroughs who was unrelenting and really was the engine for this offense. Do also want to shout out Paul Mitchell, who did a very good job getting his offense back into rhythm here and made some big plays for them and opening it up for Braden. But I got to give it to Braden Tomatos Burroughs, who really set the tone for this one and got Widefield a nice, tough, grinded out dub. Hey, y'all, thanks for listening to the Playmakers Corner podcast. I am one of the co-hosts for today, and we got Horizon at Eagle Crest for this Thursday night showdown. This was at Legacy Field, located in that Aurora Centennial kind of border there. And, uh, you know, with Eagle Crest being the home team, they did get out to an early start here as the quarterback did find number one, Tyson Clark, in the end zone for about a 30-yard touchdown pass. But the conversion was no good, so they were up six to nothing. 
And this was followed by an interception at midfield on Alex Birch's part. You know, this Eagle Crest secondary played very, very well this Thursday evening. I believe that they collected three interceptions and just showed, you know, great ability to break on the ball and to bait quarterbacks using that, you know, kind of traditional or, you know, expected speed out of the Eagle Crest secondary these days. But, you know, on the, on that interception, Eagle Crest had the ball, like I said, around midfield, and then they had a pretty solid run, but then it was immediately followed by an atrocious interception on a screen, uh, on a tailback screen, that got returned all the way to the house on Horizon's part here. And so, there you go. Uh, just like that. And with a converted extra point attempt, Horizon was then up 7-6 to six at this point in the game. Following that, you know, Eagle Crest, they had a few more good runs. Then the Horizon D-line kind of tightened up a little bit. And, uh, you know, uh, Eagle Crest ends up going four and out here. And there's a quick pass and then a pretty tough run for a first down before a fake screen wheel from Alex Birch to Landon Loomis puts Horizon up 14 to six here. And, you know, the, at this point, if you're Eagle Crest, it's like, oh man, that, mo that interception was kind of a big momentum deal there. But I mean, they hang tight, they stay calm, they stay, stay composed. And Diego Kearns really impressed me this game. I mean, just his ability to make cuts very easily. He's super athletic. His burst, once he's at the line, like, as soon as he's handed off the ball, he just explodes through the hole very quickly, very fast, and any changes of direction happen super seamlessly. He's definitely on our watch list for top five senior running backs. He's just so athletic, and uh, yeah, his lateral ability is able to, you know, get this offense to around midfield before, you know, the Eagle Crest quarterback, I believe it is Jacob Schmidt, you know, he finds his guy number 10 in the end zone who I want to say I'm not I'm actually not completely positive but he does find his guy in the end zone the defensive back on that play actually fell and so it was just a free touchdown and Eagle Crest was right back in this game and then you know Horizon here they end up having to punt it seems like a three and out but you know Eagle Crest roughs the punter and keeps this drive alive. And following that, you know, they they try and take a shot over the middle of the field. It's a post. And Landon Loomis actually gets flipped here. And that would be Landon's last play of the game. As, you know, there were some concerns about a potential concussion. So that would be the end of his run in this game. And would actually be, you know, correlation doesn't equal causation but he would not play for the rest of this game. And this was the last point or last set of scores where Horizon had a lead. So that is something to know. And on the previous Eagle Crest drive, he did take a pretty big hit on a blindside block that was flagged. Don't get me wrong, but it was, he was experiencing, you know, uh, or they were playing a really physical brand of football, I think is the best way to put it on Eagle Crest part. And, uh, you know, Landon being one of the best players, both on offense and defense, felt that to the fullest capacity, I would say. But don't be too worried. Uh, I was actually able to talk to Landon over this weekend, and so was Coach V, and he seemed okay. So, no, he will probably return to the field uh, sooner than later. But Horizon, they just uh, kind of get the wind knocked out of them there, and they head into halftime. 
And, uh, you know, Eagle Crest, they get the ball to start the half and they drive all the way. And once they get inside the 10 yard line, Horizon tightens up really stiff and actually forces a turnover on downs to, you know, get a, uh, get the ball at like the two yard line, which is a really tough spot, but they managed to get a first down on a run before having to punt the ball and Eagle Crest with the ball on the 51 yard line. They connect on a four vert concept here. Jacob Schmidt with a 50 yard touchdown throw to give Eagle Crest the, the first lead that they had this game since the very beginning, essentially. And Zach Mueller appears to be the guy who is on the other end of that touchdown. And so heading into the fourth quarter, it was Eagle Crest 19, Horizon 14. But, you know... Pretty uneventful, you know. Horizon, they had a fumble, but they recovered it. And then, you know, Alex Birch here, he throws an ill-advised hitch route on the left side that Peyton Taylor manages to jump and puts them into scoreable position. I mean, I don't think he even got brought down until he was inside the 20. And, uh, you know, Eagle Crest eventually capitalized when Diego Kearns makes an excellent read going through this small hole and then cutting right and just... Ugh, making a guy miss really intensely, a cornerback specifically, showcasing that superb athleticism here. And so that put Eagle Crest even further ahead here and gave them a pretty comfortable lead. Horizon, they ended up going three and out. And then the Eagle Crest actually puts in David Torres here, who just like behind an excellent effort by this offensive line, eventually runs in for a score, putting Eagle Crest into a comfortable lead here. Horizon, they eventually do score on the final drive. And, uh, you know, it's it's a nice touchdown pass. But the final score of that game was Eagle Crest 32 and Horizon 20. Honestly, uh, takeaways from this game, definitely have to mention that there were flashes of excellence from Alex Birch. But, I mean, he just has to do a better job of either understanding the play pre-snap he has to do a little bit better his pre-snap reads understand the speed of the other team as well but i mean he did have a solid handful of good decisions whether it was tucking and running or you know on rpo stuff i think that he showed you know a solid level of competence and a little bit more trust in him could go a long way however i i will say that it, it was a younger guy kind of game but, you know, if you take him out of this, I don't know how close Horizon is. They had a really hard time establishing the run as it was routinely swallowed up. And then, you know, this Eagle Crest defense in general, both on that front line and in the secondary, is very talented. So that is something to note. And then Landon Loomis, I mean, he's like the heartbeat of this team, honestly. And so when he left, the defense started to struggle as more and more big plays were going. And the run game was starting to get past the first down line. I mean, when Landon was in there, runs were they weren't being broken off per se because i mean he he was all over the field making a handful of tackles but once he's out of there that's when you start to see this run game for eagle crest really start moving because i mean they're winning at the point of attack they're gassing this horizon d line and i mean this eagle crest offensive line impressed they were in really good at providing really big holes they were pulling pretty well and, you know, Kearns on top of that was just very opportunistic with the opportunities he was given. And then, you know, when they're able to score with their backup guy too, first off, 
great job on Eagle Crest on that part in the fact that they have another guy who they can trust and also just getting Kearns that little bit of rest whenever you possibly can is going to be crucial and critical towards you know trying to make a run in the playoffs if you want to get past the first round or you know once you get into league where Kearns is really going to have to be dialed up to 11 to win against some of these Centennial League teams or to have a chance to win against some of these Centennial League teams. So that was kind of my takeaways from from this game. Uh, Eagle Crest, impressive. I definitely think that they're a playoff team following this performance. Horizon, they, your schedule is going to remain pretty tough. They have Arvada West this next week. And Arvada West is looking red hot. So they are going to have to string together some stuff. They're going to have to get their run game going a little bit more, I think, and uh, open up better opportunities in the pass. And I think they're going to have to diversify the pass game a little bit here. Lots of screens, lots of wheels, lots of hitch routes. I think that potentially providing some more drags, maybe some more quick outs, and trying to open it up with a quick game could help out a little bit and uh, just get Birch into a rhythm. Because by the end of this game, I mean, yeah, it was... He was completing some passes, but also he was holding on to the ball for quite some time. And I think that if you can get guys open quickly and just have him get comfortable in the pocket rather than having to run around for a long time and then getting gassed and then trying to make, you know, big time throws off of that. I think that you get the quick game going and then kind of let him do his thing from there uh, on some of those bigger route concept plays. But that was the recap from Eagle Crest vs. Horizon on Thursday, September 1st. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the Friday games from September 2nd, 2022. Starting with Denver South versus Denver East. South takes care of business 55-0. Joseph Capper has himself a day. 6 of 7 for 118 yards, 3 touchdowns. Also carried the ball 3 times for 204 yards and 3 touchdowns. Rashad Caldwell doing his thing as well. Uh, 3 receptions, 91 yards and 2 touchdowns. Also, congrats to Joseph Capra. He has committed to the Colorado School of Mines. So, they're getting a great quarterback out there. Moving on though, we do have Flatirons Academy versus Platte Canyon. Flatirons Academy gets back on track, beating them 34 to 8. Nolan Shepard had another great day here, 5 of 9 for 116 yards, a touchdown. Then had 16 rushes for 144 yards and three touchdowns. Devin Glowicki had 91 yards and a touchdown there. Then on the 3A level, we had a, a nice matchup between two top 10 teams in Green Mountain and Severance, but Green Mountain would go ahead and slam the door on Severance, shutting them out 42 to zero here. Uh, the rushing attack did a pretty good job here between a number of guys um, and about 49 total carries. They ran for 230 total yards and three touchdowns as that powered most of their offense, but Austin Beeson also came up big. He had three receptions for 50 yards and two touchdowns there. As, like I said, Green Mountain goes ahead and takes care of business against a very good Severance team. Moving on, though, we had a pretty good matchup here between Rock Canyon and Smoky Hill, if you remembered from last year. This was an insane playoff game. I believe both teams had over 100 points combined. So there you go there. Um, and so this is going to be the rematch, and this lived up to the hype. Rock Canyon, though, would go ahead and take care of business, winning 26-19 to in a close one. Uh, Austin Boker for Rock Canyon had 
add a key pick six here in the fourth quarter that would go ahead and put things away with about four minutes left. I believe Smokey Hill would score another touchdown, but it would not be enough to complete the comeback as Rock Canyon gets another solid win here, going 2-0 to start the season. Now, Ralston Valley, they go ahead and travel out of state to play Colonial, and they take care of business, beating them 41-6. Logan Madden, 8-8, eight of eight, perfect throwing, 115 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Diano uh, Benalo, I want to say, excuse me if I'm saying that wrong, he had 8 rushes for 83 yards and 2 touchdowns, getting it done there. Then we have Thornton versus Niwot. Thornton winning a close one against them, 32-24. Isaac Gomez starring, 9 receptions, 154 yards. And on defense, 9 tackles and an interception. Then we got Thunder Ridge versus Douglas County. Thought this would be a close one, uh, but it definitely was not a close game. As Cooper Keir had his best performance of the season, going 10-12 of 12 for 140 yards and 4 touchdowns. Uh, all of that being in the first half, by the way, as they would just run over. Over Douglas County here doing their thing. Uh, the receivers did a good job. CJ Reese, three receptions, 129 yards, three touchdowns. Richard Okuno, four receptions, 69 yards, a touchdown. And on defense, Aiden O'Shan uh, had a very another productive game here, going for 10 tackles, four tackles for loss, and a sack. But it was DJ Bordeaux coming in in the second half. Only had two drives, I believe, uh, and only threw one pass. But that one pass, one of one, went for 79 yards to the house to CJ Reese. So he went one of one for 79 yards and a touchdown, as that would be his first varsity touchdown of the season and of his career here uh, joining many other freshmen this week who got their first varsity touchdown as well now moving on though we got monte vista versus colorado springs christian uh, and this was a track meet monte vista winning 63 to 33 here uh, scoring on every drive they had in this game and yes you heard that right they scored on every drive they had did not punt one time did not stall out one time no turnovers uh at least i don't believe so as they go ahead and beat a colorado springs christian team that was keeping up for a little bit there uh d'angelo archuleta on 29 carries went for 171 yards and two touchdowns keegan gunter had himself a day 17 carries 175 yards Four rushing touchdowns, also had 10 receptions for 112 yards as well. Then you had Jace Velasquez and the CSCS team. Uh, Jace, he won 19 of 32 for 274 yards, four touchdowns to two picks. He also had a rushing touchdown. Uh, ironically enough, every Monte Vista touchdown was a rushing one, while every Colorado Springs Christian point was a passing one for the most part here. So, uh, very interesting. But there you go there, Monte Vista getting a quality dub there now moving on we got ponderosa versus chaparral this was a game that i had ponderosa winning and they did beating them 44 to 6 uh, but it was zach striker being the story of this game uh, the senior quarterback he won 10 of 14 for 118 yards three touchdowns also had 10 carries for 112 yards and two touchdowns uh going absolutely ballistic there then you have max mervin uh finally getting into the fold here he had four receptions for 81 yards and two touchdowns Cape Olsen, the linebacker, seven tackles, four tackles for loss and a sack. And then Carson Keach had two interceptions as they go ahead and take care of business there. Now, we got La Hunta versus Pagosa Springs. Uh, La Hunta beating them 32-6. Jeremiah Martinez being kind of the story of the game. He had 30 carries for 179 yards and three touchdowns there. 
Then we got Alamosa versus Gunnison here. Uh, Alamosa winning 21 to 7. Not bad. Casey Jones, 13 of 19 for 111 yards, one touchdown, one pick. Um, he also ran for 101 yards and a touchdown. So they got it done there, but definitely a closer game than I would have thought. So there you go. Then we got Brush versus a Fort Morgan, another rivalry game here. Brush beating Fort Morgan 26-14. A 45 rushing touchdown with 8 minutes left in the third for Brush would basically put this one away and uh, seal it there. Then we have Grand Junction Central beating Palisade 20-15 in a huge dub there. Uh, Yuma would go ahead and defeat Burns 29-14. Burns being from out of state in Wyoming. Resurrection Christian, they took care of business against Orangewood Christian, who came to town, I believe, and they beat them 36-0. Then we had a close one between Woodland Park and Salida. Woodland Park just barely getting a dub here, 22-21. Uh, the quarterback, Bryce uh, Broker, I want to say, went 2-4 for 19 yards, but was really a force on the ground. He had 13 carries for 33 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Aiden Hood, 14 carries for 60 yards in a touchdown as well. Uh, and this was kind of a game with a lot of turnovers here. I mean, each team, well, okay, Woodland Park had an interception here, but they also forced three fumbles and recovered three fumbles. Um, Salida recovered two fumbles. So, like I said, a lot of turnovers here, but Woodland Park would prevail there. Then we have Rye versus Manitou Springs. Another close game here, but Rye would go ahead and defeat Manitou Springs in their first game here, 28-20. Uh, to 20. Then we had Florence versus Centauri. Florence losing to Lyman last week there, um, basically getting shut out of the red zone or end zone. And then we had Centauri, you know, coming off a win, but definitely some losses as far as injuries go that would hurt them. And so that definitely showed us Florence would go ahead and defeat Centauri 29-7 to here. And then Ray, they would go out of state and play Goodland and take care of business 36-16. Casey Midcap, 8 of 10 for 159 yards, two touchdowns. Chris Arambula, 106 yards and a touchdown on 10 rushes there. So there you go. Uh, Pueblo West played Pueblo County, and this was not a close one. They took care of business 41-7. Yeah, Bennett versus Sterling. Bennett um, beating down on Sterling 68-21. Did not think it would be that uh, big of a game there, but it was. So there you go there. Uh, moving on, though, we had Loveland versus Mountain View. They take care of business here. Nothing crazy. 55-8. Lyman played Meeker. Beat them 42-14. to 14. Lyman getting better every game. Logan Botier, 15 carries, 90 yards, 2 touchdowns. Keon Bandy, 6 carries, 57 yards, a touchdown. Gabe Schubart, though, really broke this one loose. 14 carries, 157 yards, and 2 touchdowns. Uh, Clay Crawford for Meeker. He struggled to get going here. Had 8 carries for 26 yards and a touchdown there. And then Lyman's Michael Hoffman had an interception for them as they go ahead and take out Meeker uh, in a big way here, 42-14. Then we got TCA versus Harrison. TCA winning their matchup in an upset last week playing Harrison. They go ahead and take care of business, 44-0. Ethan Aragundi really started. He had 121 yards, two rushing touchdowns, outside of fumble recovery on defense as they shut out Harrison. 
Then you got Manson Vista uh, beating Fort Collins 50-21 to in a big win for them. Austin Modrzewski had a great day, 21 of 28 for 328 yards and four touchdowns. He also had 28 rushing yards. Uh, Chris Smith, 21 carries, 120 yards and a touchdown. They're doing his thing there on the ground. Uh, at receiver, we had multiple guys do their thing. Alex Turpin, three receptions, 103 yards and a touchdown. Sean Conway got a touchdown. Uh, Japri Jennings, I believe, got his first varsity touchdown uh, in this game. Four receptions, 40 yards and a touchdown there. So there you go. Um, and then uh, we have a couple other guys that did their thing. Like I said, big team effort here for Mountain Vista. Uh, on defense, Carter Daniels led the team with 11 sacks. Also led the team, or sorry, 11 tackles. My bad. But he also led the team in sacks with two and a half sacks and an interception in this game and a fumble recovery in this game where he was just going wild. Oh my God. What a game by Carter Daniels in this one. Uh, doing a very good job there. Anyways, though, Mountain Vista, like I said, take cares, takes care of business there. Uh, moving on, though, we have a 5A, 4A matchup between Columbine and Dakota Ridge. Columbine, they go ahead and take care of business in the first half, 35-7. to uh, This game would go, I think they would go into halftime, and then there were some lightning delays, and so they would go ahead and call it here. Uh, Dakota Ridge struggling a little bit, but obviously Columbine, we know what they are. They're very big up front. This was probably a game we had them favored in, so there you go there. Uh, moving on, though. We have Valor Christian versus Pine Creek. This was going to be a good matchup. But Valor would go ahead and bounce back from last week's loss and beat Pine Creek 24-7. Still a relatively close one. I know the score doesn't really reflect what happened here uh, as well. But Trey Stott for Valor was probably their MVP in this game. 15 carries, 59 yards, and 2 touchdowns. Also doing his thing on defense. You already know that. And then Roman Bradley on defense for Valor had 16 tackles. So, here's how it would go down. A Valor interception in the fourth with about 11 minutes left. And then following that, a one-yard rushing touchdown would give Valor a 17-7 lead. Uh, kind of separating themselves a little bit from Pine Creek. It was a three-point lead, I want to say, going into the fourth. And then another Valor rushing touchdown with three minutes left would put this one away. As Valor basically won this game in the fourth quarter, making some big plays here. Moving on, though, we have Shine Mountain versus Greeley Central. Shine Mountain taking care of business, 42-18. to Bruce Archambault, 9-15 of for 257 yards. Two touchdowns, 26 rushing yards, a touchdown, uh, rushing touchdown there. You had Zach Johnson, he had 13 carries for 193 yards and two rushing touchdowns. Uh, Gabriel Lucas, six receptions, 177 yards and two touchdowns there as well. Uh, moving on, we got Erie versus Mullen. Erie would get back on track after losing to Ponderosa last week and beat Mullen 54-34. Uh, they haven't put in their stats yet, but Mullen's uh, quarterback, Valdez Lemos, had a pretty good night, 20-32 for 302 yards and two touchdowns, no picks. He also rushed 14 times for 106 yards and two touchdowns in an effort, but it was not quite enough as, like I said, Erie won there. Then in an upset, we have Haxton, an eight-man team, versus Holyoke, a one-man or a one-A team here. Not a one-man team, an eleven-man team. And Haxton would actually beat Holyoke 50 to 32. 
uh, Haxon outlasting them thanks to a 275-yard, six-touchdown group effort on the ground uh, between Kaylin Kelly, Rylan Wolf, and Michael Gerd contributing most of the damage there as they go ahead and upset Holyoke, dropping them to 0 and 2. Moving on, though, we have Frederick versus Monarch. Frederick escapes a close one against Monarch 20-19 to here. Then we got the battle for the Milk Jug, Arapahoe versus Heritage. Arapahoe wins again this year, uh, but a little bit closer, 24-14. to Arapahoe's quarterback, um, Moynihan, I want to say, on the ground was key. He had 10 rushes for 100 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Carter Neely also did his thing. 20 rushes, 62 yards, and a rushing touchdown there. But they won the turnover battle here. They got two interceptions here and three fumble recoveries. Jeez. But Charlie Eckhart had one. Uh, Sam Ballas had the other one uh, interception-wise. And then fumble recovery. Uh, Wyatt Starbuck got a fumble recovery. Thomas Farquhar got a fumble recovery. Matthew Green got a fumble recovery. Uh, Thomas Farquhar, by the way, um, excuse me if I'm saying your name wrong, but he also caused two fumbles, and Will Knox caused the fumble as they go ahead and defeat Heritage in a big-time rivalry game. After that, we have a close one here between Canyon City and Liberty Canyon City, just barely pulling this one out, 21 to 12. Then we got Glenwood Springs versus Conifer. Glenwood Springs with a big dub here, winning 41 to 27. Moving on down south, though, we got Durango playing a New Mexican team, Piedra Vista, and just barely losing to them, 13 to 14. Not a bad loss, though. Uh, completed touchdown pass by Piedra Vista with nine minutes left would give them the lead, and then after the lightning delay, uh, Durango would begin to rally and would score a rushing touchdown with 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter. But the two-point conversion was no good, and that would end up biting them as Durango would would try to score at the end here. But an interception with a minute to go would go ahead and end that. Moving on, though, we had Elizabeth and Burlington. Elizabeth defeating Burlington in a close one, 15 to 13 there. And then kind of in an upset here, Grand Valley beat Cedar Ridge 14 to 13. Luke Maxey tried to rally Cedar Ridge by throwing touchdowns to Brady Cooper and Kevin Barron, but a failed two-minute or sorry two-point conversion with under a minute left in the fourth would go ahead and give Grand Valley the win there. Then Golden comes back to Colorado and they face off with Silver Creek in a game they should win. And they do, 45 to 7. Giselle Riley, uh, 8 of 10 for 143 yards and three touchdowns, three passing touchdowns. He also rushed for 216 rushing yards, doing his thing there. Then we have a 3A versus 4A matchup here in George Washington versus Falcon. George Washington winning 20 to 0. Marcellus Honeycutt Jr. scoring two touchdowns. That would help put that one away. Then we got Palmer Ridge versus Mesa Ridge here. Close game last year. This year, Palmer Ridge takes care of business 28 to 7. And this time it was the running game that did their job. Senior running backs Orlando Aranda. He had uh, 23 carries, 149 yards, and two touchdowns. And then you had Dylan Coyle. He had seven rushes, 27 yards, and two touchdowns as they got the job done there. Then we have Doherty versus Rampart here in the Springs. Doherty defeats Rampart 48 to 21. Caden Becker 14 of 18, 198 yards, three passing touchdowns. Solomon Latimer six receptions, 86 yards, and a touchdown. And then you had Armando Solano. He had five tackles and three sacks in a big Doherty win here. Uh, staying in the Springs here, we have Vista Ridge versus Far Northeast. Vista 
beats Far Northeast 43 to 28. This seemed a little bit closer than it should have been, but a group of seven different rushers for Vista Ridge got 189 rushing yards and four touchdowns on the ground. Uh, Dorman 14 of 21, 260 yards. Two touchdowns, two picks. Could have been a cleaner game for sure, though. They still won, like I said. Uh, B.B. Hills, he did his thing. Six receptions, 124 yards, two touchdowns. And then JoJo Garnett on defense led with 12 tackles and a tackle for loss. For Far Northeast, they were in this one. Jamani Jackson, he had 13 carries, 109 yards, two touchdowns. Antavius Hughes, 15 uh, rushes for 100 yards. As, like I said, they kind of kept it close here. So, there you go. But Vista Ridge gets the first win of the season. Then we have Discovery Canyon versus Pueblo South. Uh, once again, for the second straight year, they or Discovery Canyon would beat Pueblo South, and they would beat them 21-7. A Jacob Youssef rushing touchdown at the two-minute mark in the fourth quarter, plus a fumble recovery with one minute left uh, in the fourth quarter would seal the deal for DCC. Moving on, we had a game between Fountain for Carson and Highlands Ranch. This game would go into Saturday, so because of delays, so uh, there's a lightning delay, and then they ended up rescheduling it for the next day. So just keep that in mind. This probably affected some things here. But Highlands Ranch with the upset, 22 to 21 over Fountain Fort Carson. Uh, Brady Schufer, 21 carries, 79 yards, two rushing touchdowns. Isaac Angle, you know, making a case for Playmaker of the Week, doing a great job. 15 tackles, 2 interceptions in this game. Uh, like I said, this was a game that was played on Friday and Saturday, so maybe, you know, playing it at Saturday on 3 p.m. kind of affected the vibes and the rhythm here. But regardless, a win is a win as Highlands Ranch gets the upset. Then we got Littleton versus Arvada. Littleton winning 28-18. Uh, Tim Higgins, 265 yards, two touchdowns. Bryson Malonga comes back for this game. He goes for 155 yards and a touchdown. Aiden Lauer had a good game. Four receptions, 163 yards and two touchdowns in that one. Then we got Broomfield versus Holy Family. Uh, thought this one would be a little bit closer, but Broomfield just blows the doors open on this one. 65-7. Cola Crew. 15 of 24, 179 yards, two uh, passing touchdowns. He also had eight carries for 98 yards and three rushing touchdowns. Brent Harris had uh, six receptions. Sorry, I had to read that. He had six receptions for 98 yards and a touchdown. And then Mikhail Benner uh, at corner, two tackles, two picks, and a big-time dub over Holy Family. Rocky Mountain beat Cherokee Trove 17-14. Windsor beat Longmont 27-6. Garrett Sauer 9-18, 137 yards, 3 passing touchdowns. Also had 33 rushing yards and a rushing touchdown. Jaden Thomas, he had 22 carries for 126 yards uh, rushing yards. Chase Thomas, though, through the air, 5 receptions, 52 receiving yards, and 2 receiving touchdowns. And then Colby Holmes for Longmont did a solid job, 26-44, 292 yards, and a touchdown. Alright, now before uh, Cody recaps the game that we went to, Strasburg versus Wiggins, I'm going to recap a game that one of our new interns and part of the PMC Fan Playmakers Corner crew, uh, Gideon, had. He went to the Pooter versus Castleview game, um, goes to the college up north there, and so he is going to be going to a lot of uh, the games, a lot of the big time games you have up north in Fort Collins, Eating, Greeley, Severance, uh, Timnith, Wellington, that kind of surrounding area. And so last week he went to his first game, Pooter versus Castleview. In that game, 
Despite it taking forever to start because of lightning delays, Pooter would actually get a pretty big upset over Castleview 14 to 10. And so here's how it went down. These are the notes that Gideon wrote. And so I'm just going to be speaking these here. But Pooter, they started the game with possession and were really good at small gains on the ground in the first quarter. Jordan Neeson, who does have a couple uh, offers and interests on the next level, is very fast and very good at finding holes in the line. In terms of time of possession, Neeson probably had the ball more than their quarterback. Their QB, though, Harms, is good as well. Very adaptable, good decision-making, decent running uh, QB. He did make a couple decisions too quickly. Those weren't really his fault. That was caused by the offensive line, though. The O and D lines are the biggest concern for Pooter. During the first three quarters, they were letting everyone and their grandmother through with multiple allowed sacks in the second and third quarters and multiple bad passes and runs for loss uh, due to bad O-line play. When they threw interceptions or had fumbles, turnovers in general, it was because the line was not working or not doing the greatest job here, struggling against Castleview's defensive line. They picked it up in the fourth quarter, but it is hard to tell if that's because they leveled up or because Castleview ran out of steam. The defense was really good at stopping the interior run, especially late in the game, and they snatched multiple passes out of the air again and again. During the first three quarters, it felt like everything that wasn't a run was not going to work for Pooter. All around, there was a little bit of a lack of discipline. They fell for a fake snap in the second quarter that got half of the defensive line uh, an offsides call, and on an interception that would have had them at about the 25 multiple, pen multiple penalties due to bad sportsmanship had them at the three-yard line. Standouts include Luke Olson, who had a lot of big impact plays, including a 26-yard uh, kick return, and a lot of big tackles in big moments. Colton Mills Younger, the tight end, had a lot of action pounding guys down into the ground. Brody Van Cleve was a big part in their line, uh, being better in the fourth quarter. Sage Comeran, I want to say, made uh, multiple big plays and had the game-winning touchdown, along with having over 100 yards on the night. Now, we did pick players of the game for each team, but I'm going to go ahead and read his excerpt on Castleview verse. Uh, Castleview should have won this game and honestly had every chance to. Even without Ace Malone, uh, Hurt thinks he'll be back in the fifth, fourth week if he's lucky. They had a chance. In the beginning, they had a lot of trouble stopping the run game from Jordan Neeson. Uh, they had a new player in Jordan Ochoa who was making waves. Sixth floor outside linebacker, receiver, junior. Absolute beast and was a menace to anyone who came his way. Ryder Smith was really good at finding holes to attack uh, the quarterback through. Made it through there a couple times and found the QB. One sack was called off though due to a face mask, but regardless, did his job. Uh, Nate Schmidt did a good job in the first few quarters. Student section described him as a Tim Tebow type. Uh, runs because he doesn't want to or isn't allowed to throw it sometimes. He ran well though, and those uh, were his most effective plays, and he has some wheels. He can kick it into gear very well. Um, through the air though was very iffy for him, working decently well in the first half and completely shutting down in the second. Neeson caught three interceptions on his own and another by Jones Thomas. Uh, he also had multiple incompletions, uh, Schmidt that is the quarterback, multiple incompletions on longer throws. Their kicker, Cooper Harrison, uh, he did a good job. Uh, he had a nice extra point, a 27-yard field goal, 
punted as well, and he had a nice 55-yard punt at one point. The defensive line for the Sabercats was able to make it through to the quarterback multiple times and had multiple tackles for loss in this game. They did have two straight fumbles off of miscommunication, forcing two straight fumbles, I assume, which is not good. Sophomore Daryl Ishman had a very good game with an interception and a lot of good coverage. Uh, he was one of the main reasons that Pooter could not rely on the air game as much, especially uh, at corner. This was his first real start as he was inserted midway through the first game and he performed well. Unfortunately though, Ishman did fumble on that interception and it was re-recovered by Pooter, but Jackson Zalitvin, I want to say, made another interception on the very next play though. Castleview recovered three fumbles to go with those interceptions in this game. For three quarters of the game, Castleview was the more spirited and energized team, and their line played in unison and with a lot of energy. A member of the student section said that they were trying to play like a family, especially compared to last year. Uh, in the fourth quarter, the line on both sides of possession stopped working as well for the Sabercats. The offense wasn't able to open up any holes or keep the pressure off of Schmidt, and the defense wasn't able to apply as much pressure to Harms or close the holes um, made for Neeson. Can't tell if it's because it got figured out by Pooter or if they were tired. The drive and a two-hour lightning delay that started the game at 8.50 may be it, but 8.50 p.m. may be it, but I'd be cautious about assigning anything in particular to that. A point towards them being tired is a failed punt recovery as well. A punt hit a player in the chest and he dropped it, leaving Jones Thomas able to clean it up uh, by Castleview's 40-yard line. A bright spot in the fourth quarter is free safety Ben Knox, who did his best to disrupt the deep air attacks. Castleview just fell apart in the fourth quarter, but if they can put it together for a full game like they did in the first three quarters, they'll be fine. Regardless, though, a loss is still a loss. They did lose 14-10. to 10. Uh, We'll talk about Castleview's players of the game. Some guys that Gideon wanted us to go ahead and recognize here. Starting with defensive player of the game, we have Jonathan Nieto Villa. Excuse me if I'm saying that wrong, but I believe that's how it is. Uh, but he said when Castleview was their best defensively was when Nieto Villa was getting his chances to shine. He punched through the Impala O-line multiple times, once for a sack, and made multiple tackles for loss. Even when the Sabercats started to slow down, he was still going to work in the trenches and kept it going, trying to stop the bleeding. Now, offensive player of the game slash player of the game for Castleview was Joe Urseta. Senior Joe Urseta was the most consistent player for Castleview, and he made his impact known. When the offensive line was working, Urseta was able to find the right holes, and in the first half, he was able to make holes when he needed to. Urseta ran for Castleview's only touchdown of the game in the first quarter, which was a 37-yard touchdown. At the end of the game, once the air game had been shut down, Urseta was the only one who really touched the ball to any positive effect for Castleview. Any late-game offensive heroics felt like it would come from him. Unfortunately, this also meant that the interior defense was able to focus on him, making any gains small. So, there you go there. Uh, let me go ahead and talk about Pooter's 
offensive players of the game. Or sorry, players of the game. Starting with defensive players of the game, Jones Thomas, uh, by the way, offered by Shadron State, made his presence felt on both sides of the ball, uh, but made two of the biggest plays of the game. Recovered a drop punt in the fourth quarter to allow Puda re to retain possession on the opposing 40 rather than losing it at their 20. Then he made the interception that led to the game-winning touchdown. Really well, boys. Didn't do too uh, much wrong during this game. Then the offensive player of the game slash player of the game for Pooter was Jordan Neeson. The senior's ability to figure out the defense and find holes in it are superb. And when he didn't find holes, he made them. Had over 100 yards on the night. He had three interceptions on defense, putting him in the running for defensive player of the game as well. One of the interceptions was a pick six in the fourth quarter, which would have ensured the Pooter and Pala's uh, victory, but was called back due to blocking in the back. However, the impact it had on the rest of the drive and the rest of the game was obvious. Neeson's energy is the reason that Pooter won this game. All in all, Pooter seems like a big play team for two reasons. When the time comes to make the big plays, they are able to execute. It's just that those big plays come far too often. They recovered many fumbles, but a lot of them were their own fumbles. Uh, they let linemen through like water through a, through a colander, I want to say. Whoops, I don't know what that word is, but I'm just going to roll with it. But Harms was able to get the ball out often. They were close to allowing a safety many times in the second quarter, particularly. Um, close, but not quite. They may have won this game, but it was Castleview's game to lose. All right, real quick, talking, uh, well, this is his game summary here. So Gideon said, ultimately, I believe that this game came down to home field advantage even with the two-hour lightning delay, the Impalas were more comfortable in their home stadium. Uh, the Sabercats had already driven two hours, and then with an extra two hours of waiting, they may have gotten a little bit tired. The game ended at 11.15 p.m., which indicates how it went. For most of the game, it was a defensive slugfest, with neither team having the advantage for long, but the Sabercats fell apart in the fourth. But to be completely honest, that is reasonable. Not good but reasonable. It will be interesting to see how both teams carry this into next week. Ochoa of the Sabercats said that we have to make sure that we don't let our heads stay down. And Coach Coach Tonkin of the Impala said that especially after our week one loss, we needed to rebuild our confidence. We found that, especially with the interceptions we had tonight. That built our energy and it gave us something to build on going into next week to feel good about. So, boom, there you go. That's our guy, Gideon. Like I said, he's going to be covering a lot of the northern games here in Colorado. Like I said, Fort Collins, Greeley, Eden, uh, University, that area, which is a very talented part of Colorado. And so, be on the lookout for more recaps from him. He will be going to games every week. So, if you want to hit him up, say hi, go for it. You know, he's a good guy and whatnot. And, you know, he does a good job with these recaps. So, there you go. But coming up next, we have Cody on our Wiggins versus Strasburg recap. And I'm back here, Cody Stoffer of PMC, obviously, and I'm gonna be recapping this Friday game between Strasburg and Wiggins. Obviously, Coach V is gonna have some insight on it as well. We actually both attended this game, and boy, Friday, what a crazy day or night, I should say, for Colorado football as lightning delays all over the state really threw a lot of games into flux. This one was no different as you know we didn't even get home from this game until shoot i want to say like one in the morning it eh, no 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 it was i don't know it was late 
it was really late and all in all it was it, but it lived up to it it made it worth the wait and it made it worth the time to be at this game both of these teams very impressive showed us different things to take away and so let's go ahead and jump right into it and just kind of talk about some of these drives and what you know this game looked like between two 1a powerhouses both these teams have been you know in the playoffs for the past few years both these teams have insane talent and you know during the season previews i had both these teams you know being in that conversation for you know a potential 1a champ this year both of them with things to prove don't get me wrong but um, you know both these teams having a lot of talent you got cole kerr pepper rusher Leith ibrahim on the Wigan side, on Strasburg, there's plenty of names here. Uh, Zach Marrero comes to mind. Zach Rushman comes to mind. You obviously have plenty of watch list guys, honestly, from these squads. And, you know, guys like Caleb Hart. You have Landon Martin, who as a junior is just so improved from where he was last year. Thomas Devlin is another guy who returned from last year, who has been just absolutely fantastic. And then in the trenches, I mean, both of these teams just absolutely battled all night it was unlike a lot of what i have seen from colorado football and simon would have to concur but let's go ahead and talk about this strasburg kicked off and uh you know wiggins they started on the 18 before number 75 on this strasburg squad blows up this very initial play for a tackle for loss here and you know eventually Wiggins goes three and out and has to punt. And um, yeah, that, that's all that there was to it. Strasburg, they started on their own 48-yard line. Wiggins got a tackle for loss here. Then uh, Thomas Devlin, he gets popped, but he keeps pumping his legs for a gain of nine, setting up third and one. Landon Martin finds Austin Velasco for a first and some. It was a pick of 18, actually. And then on the 25 going in, Marrero keeps his legs moving and chugs ahead for a gain of seven. Wiggins has pretty good, you know, contain on the very next play, setting up third and one before Devlin bulldozes to the three-yard line and Marrero punches it in, giving Strasburg a seven-to-nothing lead with six and a half minutes left in the first quarter. I'd say, you know, on the drive summary of this, physical and relentless rushing styles along with a powerful O-line and a nice chunk pass land Strasburg with a lead. On the next drive... Kerr just barely overthrows Perez, but then on the very next play, he's rolling out left before he plants his feet and throws for a first down. On the very next play, there's a quarterback keeper, but a false start on the next play bounces it back. The ball then hits number one in the chest pads. And then on the next play, Kerr steps up in the pocket and tries to find Trey Fisiki for a first, but Zach Murrow makes a great play on the ball to force fourth and long. For the drive summary, I said this offense can't run without Kerr, and Wiggins looks clumsy so far. At one point, running into each other, they just... Trey Fisiki, I expect him to probably make that play. I mean, it was a great play by Zach Marrero, and I don't want to take anything away from that. However, Trey is also one of the bigger kids, arguably the biggest kid that's in the pass game for either team, and he's not boxing out. So, a little bit of a concern there on the Wiggins side before on the... Next drive here, Strasburg, they start off with, you know, a pretty good, pretty good set of runs. And on third and six, Thomas Devlin even rushes for a first down, but a holding penalty brings it back 
and you know eventually Strasburg is gonna have to punt and uh, I mean just that holding penalty definitely kills that drive Wiggins you know on this next drive they actually get some pretty good gains running the ball and then set up third and three to end the first quarter and uh, both teams have all their timeouts at this point and with the ball on the 47 going in Kerr as a quarterback keeper here and narrowly gets the first down then Julio Flores rushes for four yards here and then the exact same play is ran in a row for two and so on third and five there there's a decent pass and uh you know the ball is a little bit out of reach once again Cole Curran and his wide receivers just looking a little disconnected there's arguably room for a PI call here but I'm fine with the refs not calling it I think there's a little bit of back and forth on the wideout and the defensive back here and uh you know that ball just hits the turf and uh on fourth and five there's a timeout called by Wiggins here and uh they are going to go for it and Cole Kerr is going to be stopped short by a just excellent group tackle on Strasburg's part here so the drive summary is Wiggins could finally kind of run but uh not enough for a first and a decent drive stalls out here um you're just seeing that the pass game is a little disconnected and uh, I mean, this Strasburg defense is just playing very aggressively on that run game. On the Strasburg drive, there's a run by Caleb Hart and Zach Marrero that leads to a first. And then, you know, there's some immediate pressure, but uh, on a pass play that doesn't really help anybody out. And then uh, Zach Marrero, he's just so strong and balanced when he's running. He eventually sets up a fourth and two timeout Strasburg. And uh, they run a direct snap run for a first down. Then on the next play, there's, I, th I would say it was more of a miscommunication on a route and throw. I think that uh, Landon thought that the receiver was running and the receiver thought he was running something else. So the pass hits the turf, luckily. And then uh, Marrero pops off for a seven-yard gain. And Thomas Devlin runs just shy of the first. It's fourth and two. And uh, Zach Marrero, or my bad, Landon Martin, finds his guy for a quick slant and a first down uh pepper rusher here he goes with an outside move but if he would have went inside he maybe could have batted this pass but uh you know hindsight's 2020 in that case caleb hart then gains nine on a jet sweep on the next play Lath ibrahim of wiggins who's been relatively quiet up until this point he does blow up this inside handoff to thomas devlin and on third and one there is just a massive penalty on Strasburg here that puts them all the way back third and 18 here and um you know on on this play Landon tries to find his guy and I think that the receiver just doesn't get as vertical due to just aggressive defense on the defensive backs part but then um land on the next play on fourth and 18 Landon throws an absolute dot in the end zone but the receiver just can't quite track it. I mean, he has to kind of like follow it over his head and then look up and watch it all the way into the basket. And it just doesn't quite help here. So I, on that drive summary, Strasburg bullied their way down uh, the field and had some nice passes from Landon Martin, who is just so drastically better from last year. I can't stress that enough. Uh, but, uh, you know, a penalty and then some good pass rush here on Wiggins' part along with a slightly unprepared receiver ends the drive i would call this drive a missed opportunity here on the next wiggins drive look uh trey fisiki he has kind of a bad drop here caleb hart does make an aggressive tackle here 
but it's definitely a catch that by the time Caleb makes this tackle and the way that the tackle was, Trey has got to make this catch. Um, look, I'm calling up the Wiggins receivers here. You guys have got to perform better if you want to be taken more legitimately this year. And, uh, you know, drops are going to force teams to become one-dimensional. And you look at what Strasburg was able to accomplish this game with a pretty balanced approach. And then you look at where what Wiggins had to do to get back into this game. And, uh, you know, being one-dimensional kind of hurts in that aspect. Um, in that you just don't have the versatility and efficiency, right? But, you know, drops and mistiming on deep balls produces a three and out here for Wiggins. On this Strasburg drive, Caleb Hart makes five defenders miss and reaches the Wiggins 44-yard line. On the following play, Pepper Rusher gets a nice push to, you know, meet the run at the line of scrimmage. And then Landon Martin takes what the defense gives him on a little flat route to Devlin, who sets up third and three with a minute 23 left in the half. But then there's a little bit of a misplay on what I think was supposed to be a handoff and uh, that barely ends up getting to the line of scrimmage. Strasburg takes a timeout here with 37 seconds left. And on fourth and three, there is a quick slant to Velasco again that he takes all the way to the house to give Strasburg a 14-0 lead with 30 seconds left in the half. And so my drive summary on this and, you know, going into uh, halftime basically um, is... Now, Landon Martin's smart play and ball placement both capitalizes and saves part of this drive to give Strasburg a two-score lead at the half. And so, you know, Strasburg, my halftime summary of them was that they're just more physical, they're more alert, and outside of a couple of penalties, look very polished and ready. For Wiggins, I said that they're just off. They can't run, the passes are off, the chemistry's off, receivers are dropping passes. And, you know, at this point, I'm starting to have some serious doubts on if they're different from Wigan squads of years past at this halfway point. And so, you know, 14-0, here we go into the second half. Strasburg receives the second half kickoff and Landon Martin right out the gate finds Caleb Hart in the flat, who then accelerates for a first. Caleb Hart then gets a, you know, jet sweep here and gains five. But then on third and five, Pepper Rusher makes a tackle um, here to, that only allows for two. I also say that uh, Laith and Ibrahim on this, or Laith and Pepper were both standing up on this play. So showing a little bit of versatility on that line at the edge positions. And on fourth and two, Strasburg lines up as a punt, but adjusts to gun and Landon Martin hits Thomas Tevlin for a first. So, you know, they have a little bit of versatility there, it seems. And then on the next play, they have a toss to Caleb that gets forced all the way to the sideline. Cole Kerr makes some great plays on back-to-back -back runs. And on third and five, Strasburg takes their first timeout of the half here, this opening drive. They definitely want to try and put this game away with another score, which I think momentum-wise, being able to come out and do that could go a very long way. But, you know, the ball ends up just out of the reach of the receiver. And then on the next play, the pass rush works pretty well. And uh, fake punt like direct snap to Marrero doesn't work. I probably would just run a play here, but uh, you know, it is what it is. Wiggins, they show signs of life here on this next drive. Flores gives Wiggins the biggest gain of, you know, their game here with a 30 yard rush 
carrying defenders, running hard, and I'm like, hey, maybe Wiggins came to play in this second half. And uh, then Wiggins, they stay disciplined here. They get an encroachment on Strasburg, and they have first and five on the 35 going in. But, you know, a run plays blown up here, and then Cole Kerr play action fumbles and kills this drive. And I was just thinking, man, Wiggins finally had a chance, and they call an obvious play action after two runs, and Kerr fumbles here just trying to do too much. So Strasburg, they get the ball back. Quick completion for a first. Um, Omar Perez here got to do a little bit better of a job tackling low. But then on the next play, Landon holds onto the ball way too long. But, uh, you know, eventually finds his guy. And uh, Caleb Hart stiff arms his defender into the ground. Those were two different plays. My bad. Um, but, you know, Caleb Hart runs hard here. And you could see some frustration on the Wiggins side. You see people trying to call each other up. You see them like, hey, like, this is the time. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to get back in this game if they score again, right? So... They turn it up, and, you know, Pepper Rusher, Leith Ibrahim, they make a massive tackle for loss. They force a third and 15, and there's a delay of game. And then Pepper and Julio Flores actually get immediate pressure and a massive sack here. Wiggins finally got mad enough to make some plays on defense after getting bullied earlier in the drive, and they force a Strasburg punt. So good bounce back here. Wiggins, they get the punt, and they get set up on third and one. Julio carries past the first down and they start getting a push internally for a few first downs and they run a hurry up before eventually 75 Stevens on Strasburg stops Julio at the line forcing third and six. They slow down here. Strasburg, they blight, they bite on the play action, but another drop here kills this Wiggins drive as, or no, it doesn't kill this Wiggins drive, but another drop prevents a big play here. Um, look, catch the ball that's your only job so but anyways on fourth uh kerr keeps it himself and he has a nice little cut and uh shows good power kind of carrying some defenders low-key for a first down to end the third quarter at the start of the fourth here it's still 14-0 uh strasburg leading kerr you know uh he gets a keeper that sets up first and goal julio has a monster pancake before uh you know Eventually, 79 of Strasburg tears up a quarterback draw that I think is just a terrible play call. Then on third and four, there's a flood right screen left that ends up in the end zone, but an illegal shift takes away the score. So on third and eight, there's a slight overthrow. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's a slight overthrow, but it was a drop. I would say it did hit the receiver in the fingertips. And so on fourth and eight, Kerr just sees a pass late and tries to throw it across the field exactly what Caleb Hart wanted. He definitely baited this pass and intercepted it in the end zone, making it a potentially game-stealing play with 9.26 left. And I put that a silly mistake here cost Wiggins a score on this drive that ends, uh, honestly, before the interception in momentum-wise, in my opinion. But, uh, you know, Caleb Hart also makes an incredible play here athletically and instinctually. But that would be the last, like, play for a while here we eventually have to go back to the car because there is lightning delay the lightning is going absolutely ballistic here with nine and a half minutes left simon and i were going back and forth like well how long do you think it's gonna go and we looked at our lightning radar and it was 
everywhere. Like, it was lightning basically everywhere that there was a football game in Colorado, or so it felt like. Lots of games from that Friday night got postponed into Saturday. One got postponed into Monday. It was a bizarre weather occurrence here. And I mean, you know, it, it looks cool, but for the sake of football, gosh dang it, right? And so we end up having to sit in the car. We sit in there about an hour. I want to say it's around 8.30, 8.45 by the time this happens, almost 9 o'clock. They then begin the game back at 9.46 after a long wait here. And so Strasburg comes out and... Um, you know, they, they eventually have to punt, and uh, Wiggins gets the ball at the 36. And so they're feeling themselves. They're running the ball really well. They're doing hurry up on third and one. You know, they eventually have a Cole Kerr keeper, Kerr keeper, uh, for six. And then on another keeper, uh, Cole Kerr scores here. And, um, you know, Julio Flores, he has an excellent second effort, just continually driving those legs and makes a score 8-14 to 14 with 5 minutes and 15 seconds left in this ballgame. On Strasburg's ensuing drive, Wiggins makes a great play at the line, and then the wind is just picking up like crazy. I mean, it rained a little bit too, so, you know, you have a little bit of elements going on here, but it was windy so bad that, like, Coach V couldn't even wear his hat because it would have been carried off, and we were holding on to our program for dear life, and it was whipping around, and you could tell that on this, you know, flat route here, it just gets carried away by the wind and gets a little bit out from them. On third and 10, uh, Omar steps up here and he makes a good deflection to force an incompletion. And I mean, I understand that Landon has been playing very well this game, but with this wind, I probably would run it a little bit more. And then, oh my God, I don't know why they're throwing it here with 515. They pass the ball twice on this drive and you know there's also wind going on they're stopping the clock with these incompletions and then on the very next play is definitely the most questionable call of probably this entire game as Strasburg opts to punt from shotgun here and not only does the punt get blocked but Pepper Rusher scoops and scores it to tie the game up 14 to 14 Momentum is swinging in the complete opposite direction. It's a bit of a pendulum. It's absolute madness here in Strasbourg on a Friday night. It's the best kind of football you can really ask for. But Strasbourg, they don't let it get to them. And they stand tough on defense here to halt the two-point attempt. Oh my gosh, it's 14-all. What's going on here? Strasbourg, they get, they get the ball. And Zach Marrero has a nice return here that starts the drive at the 30. And, uh, you know, after that, Caleb Hart, he has a nice little rush for nine before Pepper Rusher blows up the next run to force third and four. Zach Marrero, he finds the hole with great burst and speed and power and gathers for a first down. And, you know, at the 10-yard line going in, Lathan Kerr make a tackle here. Wiggins takes a timeout. They have some remaining with two minutes and 16 seconds in the game. On the next play, Lath seals the edge and forces Hart inside for a very short game. There's another timeout by Wiggins here. And, you know, third and 10 at the 15. Strasburg throws a quick slant here to Velasco for eight yards and sets up fourth and two. Strasburg, they take a timeout here with a minute 22 remaining. Do they win the game here? Well, if you looked ahead, cheated ahead, or if we already mentioned it, no. As the three players for Wiggins that played up to you know their perceived skill level 
Cole Kerr, Pepper Rusher, and Leif Ibrahim. They are in the backfield on this play and force a turnover on downs. And Wiggins, you know, they, they have the ball in their own 10 with a minute 16 before they just run this clock out. And we go into overtime, but not before another lightning delay. We go back inside the gym. And as do the players, they go inside their locker rooms. Everyone is just trying to stay mentally engaged here. Obviously, one lightning delay is something. But an another one? Oy vey. It's just, this is the game that never ends. But at least it was a really good one. I mean, just huge shout out to both these teams for battling all night. Being really physical. Both these teams are like... You know, they're living up to this being a top 10 matchup. In our personal power rankings, we had Wiggins at four and Strasburg at six. This is a monumental game here and one that both these teams get to play a little bit more. We head into overtime and in first overtime, Wiggins starts with the ball. They eventually score here. And uh, I mean, Cole Kerr and Julio Flores doing the most for this squad. They get the two point conversion. And at this point, they are up. 22 to 14. Strasburg here, man. They end up they end up with the ball here. And on fourth down, they throw a corner route. And there the defender has his back to the ball and he commits pass interference. He thinks it's just a play being broken up, but the flag does come out and pass interference is called, giving Strasburg new life here, and they capitalize off of that, scoring both that. And the two-point conversion. I think it's a quick hitter to either Caleb Hart or Velasco on the far side of the field. So, on just like a quick out or something like that. So, it's 22-22 and we're heading to second overtime. It doesn't get much better than this. Both of these lines are absolutely thrashing each other. You know, getting pushes here, pushes there. Running backs are being snuffed out at the line, but they are also picking up big gains. They're running hard. It's such a physical football game. Everyone is showing endurance. Nobody is really being helped off the field or limped off. This is for your city. This is for your community, really, or your town, right? Like, this is why these guys play football is to represent their community, arguably more than, than most places. And, you know, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter who you're from or, you know, who your parents are, where you're from at this point in that town, what your history is. It doesn't matter what you look like. It's just football right here. It is the purest form of football that I have probably seen here in Colorado. No politics, no weather here. It's just a little cool night here in Strasburg at around 11 at night here. Strasburg, they get the ball to start second overtime. They score, and then they kick the PAT. They kick a PAT, taking a 29-22 lead, and it is Wiggins' turn to respond. Wiggins, who has not gone for a PAT attempt all day, is faced with win or go home, right? They score a touchdown. It is 28 to 29. It all comes down to this. They're going for the two-point attempt. Strasburg knows it. Wiggins knows it. You got to get the ball in the hands of your best player here. And Strasburg, by golly, you got to stop him. Cole Kerr on the keeper. Stuffed. Absolutely stuffed here. Strasburg snuffs it out and stops Kerr just shy of the end zone and wins this ball game 
29 to 28. Overall takeaways, and no, I'm gonna touch on Wiggins here for a little bit. They definitely got off to a really slow start. Talked to some of their guys, you know, after the game in DMs and made sure that I let them know, hey, that was a heck of a game that you guys played. There's a lot to be proud of in this game. There's obviously some good takeaways, but chemistry-wise, obviously they got to get on the same page in the past game. And I think that, you know, their ability to be multi-dimensional last season is what made them so fun to watch and just so dangerous to a lot of 1A competition, being able to both run and pass, but they need their receivers to start catching balls and they need to just be more focused and more engaged, you know. Uh, watch that ball all the way in and then protect it and then worry about what you're going to do with the ball afterwards, right? So just rubbing those hands, use some tennis balls, get that practice in, right? Uh, for Wiggins, I mean, huge adversity and their defense showed me a lot down the stretch in that fourth quarter, bringing them back into the game, obviously scoring one of those touchdowns on defense slash special teams. And, but they are going to need some more contributors other than Cole Kerr, Leith Ibrahim, Pepper Rusher, and to an extent, Julio Flores, if they want to actually make some noise in 1A this year, I don't think if you if you put yourself in this exact same situation in the playoffs, I think it's a different story. I don't know if this game necessarily goes to overtime. So they just got to come out a little bit more focused, a little bit more polished, a little bit more clean. But I mean, they showed incredible grit, which goes a long way. And I think that that perseverance that they showed in that comeback that, you know, they pulled off to at least force an overtime does wonders and i was ready to put them at two if they won this game following that you know potential comeback win but you know strasburg on the other hand i'd say that allowing wiggins to score one touchdown isn't necessarily the worst thing i think that that drive where they passed it twice with the wind being crazy and then punted out of shotgun that was really concerning because i mean I think that you just run the football here and give them less time because when Wiggins has had like a whole field to work with, they really haven't shown the ability to score. They scored off of the 36 yard line and they scored off of a blocked punt in your own territory on your own side of the 50. So I would have personally challenged that a little bit more there. And uh, that blocked punt was just that drive looked very uncharacteristic and they just came out a little flat, I think, out of the locker room here. Um, heading into that fourth quarter after the first lightning delay, which is, you know, maybe to be expected, but not to such a degree where you just let the other team back in. But then they made stops when it counted, right? This Strasburg defense was incredibly clutch. They really only allowed eight points, right, um, in regulation. And then in overtime, I mean, on a short field, look, they made the two-point stop when it mattered. All those guys in the trenches, those hogs, you know what I'm saying? Uh, they really stepped up big time. And, you know, in the secondary, they played a really solid game, I think forcing some of those incompletions and making some of those tackles, you know, further back. And, uh, you know, they just have this like Tasmanian devil like tenacity on that Strasburg defense. And they were showing a lot of different looks there. They have a lot of athletes. They have defensive linemen that can do contain. They have linebackers that can blitz linebackers that can cover safeties that can blitz. You know what I mean? So that versatility and athleticism on that Strasburg front seven is huge honestly, for this team being a contender. And that's why I'm going to put them at number two in my power rankings. And they have a massive prove-it matchup on this upcoming Saturday against Lyman. I'm sure Simon has stuff to say about this game as well, whether he's already said it or whether he's going to say it up next is up to him. But what a fantastic game and what a pure brand of football. And what a great way to celebrate Coach V's birthday on Friday as he turned 24 huge shout out to both of those squads we love our wiggins guys here i got to meet them last year at that wiggins yuma game 
And so, you know, being able to talk to them through DMs because they did have a long drive, seeing as how no one really got to leave until midnight. And shout out to our Strasbourg guys who, you know, have just been so polite. And, you know, they, I think one thing that I will say about the Strasbourg community is they're a prove it community. If we project them to go, you know, five and four, they're not like, oh my gosh, how could you do that? They're like, okay, we need to do this, this, and this. That's what they talked about in their preview. They weren't sure if this was going to be working. And we got to show that this works. And, you know, to some degree, take this advice to strengthen our weaknesses and be a true contender this year. And I think one of my biggest question marks heading into this season as I did their preview is what is Landon Martin going to look like? And I think that he showed me enough to be very, very confident in this team. I mean, passing wise, 12 of 20, 140 yards, two scores, right? No interceptions, a QBR 115.4, made throws when it mattered. And those some of those incompletions are good incompletions too, if you know what I mean. Like putting it in a place where, you know, only a receiver can make a play on it. He arguably should have had three touchdowns this game if his receiver could track down one of those passes, you know what I mean? Or, you know, that incompletion that was on a pass interference, I think that it was a great toss to the back corner. And, uh, you know, he shows good touch on his throws and he shows pretty good timing as well. I'm very excited for what Landon Martin has going for him and for what this entire Strasburg team, all those guys that I talked about at the beginning of the segment and in my, you know, yearly preview, they all stepped up big time this game. And I highly recommend trying to make it to some Strasburg football in the future. What a heck of a game here that we had Strasburg for Swiggins on September 2nd. All right, now let's talk about Saturday's games. Uh, we will talk about Northridge versus Evergreen after this one because that was the big one we won to. But let's go ahead and get this one started. So Pueblo Centennial, they played Palmer. They would go ahead and take care of business 44 to 30. Denver North would then play Alameda, a game that Denver North was definitely favored in, and they would defeat them 49 to 6 here. Uh, Fort Lupton would go ahead and get an upset win over Lamar 28 to 25. I don't think many people were expecting that, but they got it done. Uh, Gonzalez, he had nine rushes for 55 yards and a touchdown. Will Alvarado, uh, their quarterback, he had four carries for 35 yards and a touchdown in that game. But most importantly, this Fort Lupton defense stepped up and had five turnovers, four interceptions, Anthony Herrera, uh, Bland Mendenhall, Danny Rodriguez, Joseph Gallegos. They would each have an interception. And then Caden uh, Durbigny, I want to say, he would have a fumble recovery. He also blocked an extra point. So this Fort Lupton defense was balling in this upset over Lamar here. Then Cherry Creek, they went out of state to play Powerhouse St. Edwards in Ohio. And it wasn't bad. They only lost 13 to 9. That's a team that loves to travel with St. Edwards, that is. They love to travel and play teams from all over the country. And I believe they also won state or uh, something like that in their league in Ohio as well. So that's, I mean, you know, I know there's no such things as quality losses, but that's a tough team to play, especially with Cherry Creek trying to still figure out a quarterback, or at least it seems so. 
Then we have Roosevelt versus Kennedy. Roosevelt coming to Denver, and they took care of business 41 to 0. Uh, Xavier Ramirez, 6 carries, 136 yards, 3 touchdowns. Ryan Doucette, 7 carries, 68 yards, and 2 touchdowns, as they got it done on the ground. Then moving down south, we have Banning Lewis Academy versus Jefferson, and Banning Lewis Academy puts it to them 56 to 6. Sam Bell, the new starting quarterback for them, went 5 of 7 for 98 yards and 3 passing touchdowns. Chase Real, or or actually I think that's Riley, Chase Riley, the sophomore, excuse me if I'm saying that wrong. He had 10 carries for 164 yards and 2 rushing touchdowns. And then Ben Early, the sophomore, had 3 receptions, 73 yards and 2 receiving touchdowns. And then going back to the West Coast here, we got Regis Jesuit playing Oaks Christian. And unfortunately, Regis Jesuit came up just short, 28-34. to 34. This really shouldn't affect the rankings too much as that is a pretty solid team from out of state. Now, coming up, we have this Northridge versus Evergreen recap. And then we are actually going to talk about Meade versus Lutheran on this segment here. Uh, Meade versus Lutheran, they played Friday night, but they're actually making that up Monday. Uh, as of right now, while I'm talking, they are playing that game. Uh, Monday, September 5th, 2022. And so right after that Northridge Evergreen recap, we'll um, give you the final score of Meade versus Lutheran. All right, y'all. It's the last time that you'll have to hear from me on this episode as we had Northridge versus Evergreen on Saturday. Also got to see some of our, you know, PMC fam members on the sideline of that Northern Colorado game, which was a fun time, even though Northern Colorado did lose that game but we won't dwell on that too much we're gonna go ahead and talk about this northridge versus evergreen game which first off had a helicopter landing at midfield to deliver the game ball that's like one of the most hype things i've ever seen in high school football northridge man they know how to do it up and this was a huge 3a matchup between evergreen and northridge here and so you know to get this game started northridge had the ball on the 45 and uh you know, on third and 11, they end up in the third and 11, and they have a screen for eight, but a holding penalty then puts them, uh, you know, further back, and a third pass is just out of bounds. So, you know, with the energy in the building and a big return, I would have liked to see more out of this drive, but the Evergreen defense did come to play. And, uh, you know, Evergreen here, I think that they should have caught the punt, call a fair catch and catch the punt, because it bounces all the way to the 15. They end up in a third and 11 hole, and uh, Paholski zips it into a window before, zips it into a very tight window here, and the receiver tries to make a catch, but Jace Reed makes a great play on the ball and uh, punches it out to force a punt. P punches it out in the incompletion sense, right? So the drive summary, not too much going, but you got a fair catch and catch the punt because that bounce is the difference of this possession because now when they punt, Northridge now has the ball on the 45 going in. So it's like they gained 10 yards because of that punt. So special teams, very important. You have run, run, sets up third and three. And then number 17 at wide receiver has a nasty pancake on an off tackle right. And this leads to a Northridge first down. And then Northridge runs play action left and Cooper Rose looks back across the field to his right and finds the open man on this running back wheel route for the score, giving Northridge a quick lead before the PAT is blocked. Northridge is up six to nothing with 7.59 remaining in this ballgame. Now, going on from there, uh, there's a quick hitch here and some tough running by Gabe Zimmer to pick up two first downs. Tommy Boholski then keeps it and gets a first. 
And uh, they go into hurry up here, picking up three. And then on another hurry up call, Tommy Paholski finds number four for Evergreen Nash Carroll for the score or for the score. And it gives Evergreen actually a seven to six lead after the PAT is good. Now on the Northridge next drive, there's, or I should say the drive summary for that is, you know, two big first down runs, uh, sets up the pass and uh, Northridge just doesn't quite adjust to the hurry up. And that's what allows Evergreen to take this lead. On the next Northridge drive, uh, there is a quick pass that sees, you know, uh, Northridge receiver get free and get to the other 35. And then the quarterback steps up and makes a really clutch dump off to Jenkins here who barrels ahead for a first down. Northridge then has to take a timeout. And on first and 10, a 20-yard pass is or first and 10 on the 20, a pass is way behind the wide receiver. The timing is just off and is intercepted by number three of Evergreen. And then I'd say, you know, after, you know, this interception, Evergreen has two quick passes for first downs and then suddenly faces second and one at the 28. They get a direct snap for another first down. And following that, you know, on that new set of downs, Northridge, they get a good push on this D line. And so this is another good battle between a very solid Northridge D and offensive line and this evergreen D and offensive line that, you know, has really good tackles and ends as well. Make sure to listen to Coach V's season preview on Evergreen for full details on that. But anyways, look, uh, they, they get, <laughs> they get upfield a little bit, but then, you know, Jackson Jenkins, he does bat a pass in the backfield and then a miscommunication ends in the ball hitting a receiver in the legs and an illegal formation pushes them back and then an out of reach pass. So, you know, on the drive summary, I said that this is a methodical drive that gets upended by missed passes and timing. And then with a blocked QB punt, Northridge then gets an excellent setup here heading into the second quarter with great field position. And so there's a couple of runs and then Cooper Rose, he looks comfortable in the pocket. He zips one pass in for the first. There's an outside run attempt here, but the edge is being held very well by these evergreen defensive ends here. Northridge takes a timeout and has one remaining, but then they have a misdirection on a fake jet sweep that goes inside zone. And that results in a first as the defense does bite on that jet sweep. And then on first and 10 on the 15 going in, Cooper Rose zips it into Reese Pratt's to regain the lead. And so I'm saying my big takeaway from this drive is that Cooper Rose showed good perseverance on this drive and has nice completions to put Northridge back ahead 12 to 6 with 9.46 in the half. On the next drive, Evergreen is on their own 17 and number two drops a pass here. And then a screen pass gets jumped by Isaac Ness and taken to the house. Drive summary there. Northridge did their homework and keys in on the screen with a great athlete making a huge play and, you know, giving Northridge a bit of a cushion here heading further into this game here. On the next play, Gabe Zimmer has a nice gain here uh, for five and then they get another gut run for a first. But on the next play, number two doesn't maintain his block. And so Zimmer gets tackled for only eight when it probably should have been a first down. The run is finally stopped at the line by Steckel here. And then, well, apparently it was a first down. But on the next play, Paholski gets tackled by Suji or Sugi in the backfield. They then have a quick pass left to set up third and two before a snap infraction 
pushes them back to third and seven, and Dylan Hubbard makes the sack, and Evergreen has to punt. Uh, you know, drive summary, I put hurry up, gets a few first downs, but then the D-line of Northridge buckles down here and forces a punt. Northridge with the ball on their own 44-yard line. They get a quick run for five. Damon West is showing off his quick feet and gets a first, but Holding brings it back to set up second and 16. Um, number 17, well, I'm just going to say that the next pass that happens here does bounce off of a wide open receiver's hands. And so on third and 17, Evergreen takes a timeout before there's another receiver error and they have to punt. I put that penalties kill this drive, but drops are plaguing both squads. They both just look kind of stone hands-ish thus far into the game. Evergreen starts off the ball with on their 27 and there's a quick pass, but uh, multiple fouls on Evergreen here as number four commits a personal foul and there's also a holding. So it puts them all the way back to the eight yard line and on first and 29, there is a forced fumble by Parker Steckel. And I'm just putting a lack of discipline is glaring here. And uh, you need to just play with your pads um, um, during during the uh, during the game and quit talking so much. And uh, Evergreen, they're in their own heads and they are just committing dozens of mistakes. And so Northridge, they have the ball at the nine going in. They're, they're going to score here. And... Uh, you know, Rose, he, he ends up making a, another really nice pass. He just zips it and left to Brendan Peterson to give Northridge a 26-7 to lead. And I'm just saying, you know, that uh, this defense is very opportunistic and is setting up the offense here um, to just blossom in this game. On the next drive, this is one of the biggest moments of the game, in my opinion. Apparently, they... Flag Steckel for throwing a punch, and he let. Well, he doesn't. The allegation is that he threw a punch. I didn't see it, but that's what the ref said, and he gets ejected from this game. And up until this point, I mean, he just had the forced fumble on the previous drive. That is a tough loss here. But uh, Evergreen here, they don't capitalize off of the penalty. There's another dropped pass, there's a holding, and then there's a flag here but it's an inadvertent whistle. So, you know, they, they choose to just run it back again. Tommy Paholski keeps for five or six yards, and on third and four, they false start again. And on third and nine, uh, pressure prolongs a pass long enough to be too close to the sideline and have a punt here. Back and forth, back and forth. Nothing really happens here. So halftime summary here for our winning team, Northridge. I'm putting hopefully the missed PATs don't come back to bite them. And, you know, a bad field goal unit is a concern for later in the year. And losing Steckel hurts as well. But Burke Holder stepped up big time in that first half and uh, has been an absolute menace. He obviously gets it done on both sides of the ball. And I bet that the defense is playing awesome. You know, their instincts look fantastic. And they've set up at least 12 of these points. And huge props to Cooper Rose, like I said earlier, shaking off a bad throw early and just being absolutely perfect for the rest of the half. For Evergreen, I put play, they were playing very sloppy. Uh, just absolutely overwhelmed by Northridge's strength on the defensive line. They didn't capitalize off of an interception, as well as, you know, great field position set up by a penalty. They didn't capitalize off of the ejection of arguably, arguably one of the bigger game wreckers of the Northridge defense. Then drops, and then special teams not, you know, getting fair, fair catches in the right spot. 
and on offense, just stalling out. I mean, there's just mental mistakes, inferior strength here, their inability to tackle Northridge ball carriers and not be carried forward is going crazy. And I just said, look, the receivers have to make the catches and Tommy needs to feel pressure a little bit better, but you know, the receivers need to catch the ball and Woodward needs help on defense. There is a stretch where he literally made Northridge go out three and out himself with a pressure and then like two tackles. So you've got to help him out here. And so heading into the second half, Evergreen, they don't show me mental toughness here as they can't even catch the opening kickoff and have to start this drive on their own 17 yard line before running the ball twice or, you know, running the ball three times in a row for a first down. Then they have another run for three. And uh, on the very next play, Burkholder, man, he's got an impressive vertical. He climbs the stair crate the staircase and bats a pass that is super high and on third and seven tommy definitely tries to force a pass over the middle here kind of lucky it doesn't get picked and i just put that the passing game is struggling right now northridge with the ball on the 29 they eventually get to a third and one situation and uh they run for a first down then on the next play 20 bats down a pass that definitely could have been a pick six for evergreen here you got to be a bit more instinctual and aware. You got to be alert. You have to have your head on a swivel and you've got to make a pick six there. I don't, really don't think there's an excuse. But on third and seven, there's a dropped pass here that could have gone for a first down and uh, they have to punt. But they ate up some time, which I think is good. Evergreen on the 29 yard line, uh, they get swallowed up in the backfield. Then they get swallowed up at the line of scrimmage. And then there's just a tough throw towards the boundary. That is a fourth down. I put that they're trapped between inadequate running and receivers who can't catch. And then Tommy is struggling on these deeper out routes here. Maybe he's just tired of seeing his receivers drop these passes. But then Northridge on the 45. Uh, Ness makes the edge for a first. Then they run for four. They have a swing pass for one. Then Cooper tries forcing a pass across the body when he has time to plant. And he almost throws a pick here. I just put uneventful on the drive summary, but Cooper, you know, definitely just be a little bit more aware of the time that you have because if he plants his feet and delivers this strike, he has the arm talent, he has the timing. I think that it would have been a first down. But Evergreen, they have a nice punt return to start at the 46 going in. And, uh, you know, Tommy Paholski, he puts his shoulder down, he gains seven. Then, you know, there's a run for one or two. Zimmer runs for a first down. And on first and 10 at the 22, Paholski keeps on a read option on a great fake and scores the pat is good and now evergreen has 14 on the board i put on the drive summary that tommy just does it himself and will have to drag these cougars to a win against great teams which is not ideal on northridge's next drive starting at the 27 yard line there's a dump off right before number 70 on Evergreen blows up the next run to the right. And on third and eight, there's a deep pass that hits the turf. And then the punt is muffed. And Northridge recovers the football on the other side of the field. But hold up, there's a flag on the play. There's an illegal formation, five men in the backfield. And this scoots back Northridge. And not only does this scoot them back, but the snap goes over the punter's head. And the punter luckily escapes to the 12-yard line. But oh my gosh, it's like they're trying to let Evergreen back into this game. Just really silly mental mistakes here. 
And, you know, Evergreen on the 12 going in, Pawlowski keeps it and puts his shoulder down for the score. And all of a sudden, this is a one-score game with Evergreen behind 21-26. to 26. Heading into the fourth quarter, Northridge has the ball in their own 15. Rose can't decide on which receiver in the pass kind of drops in between two guys. But the next pass is a very sweet pass for an absolutely monster first down. Northridge, you know, they, they get a, a little bit of a run here on first down. Then Rose throws on the run and is just out of the reach of a receiver. Once again, just folks either on delivering these strikes on the run, but more than likely probably plant your feet for a quick second. Get used to throwing it pretty quick and having your mechanics be nice and fast. On third and seven, there's a sweet physical run by Isaac Ness that picks up the first. And on first and 10 on the 49, you know, Evergreen here, they allow a few rushing yards. And number 46 has helped off the field. And then number 70 makes a nice play at the line of scrimmage, but he is visibly limping really bad on the next play. And Northridge gets a dive for five, and number 70 needs to be helped off the field. The limp looks worrying. I'm hoping that he's okay, but he would not return back to this game. On third and five, there's a, there's a fumbled snap, and then there's a punt on fourth and six, giving Evergreen the ball. On the drive summary, I put Northridge is moving the ball really well here, and... Uh, I think that, you know, obviously if they maintain that momentum, that that's good. And, and Evergreen lost two starters on that drive, which is not ideal here. So Northridge definitely should score again this game. Evergreen, they have a short run, short pass, and then a botched screen. I say maybe it's a missed opportunity, maybe a lucky break. So we'll have to call it a wash because there was some dispute that maybe on the punt that an Evergreen player touched it. But I mean, it was really close to tell and it did happen pretty fast. So. Uh, lucky break or missed opportunity. It is what it is. Evergreen. Um, or Northridge on their own 44. My bad. They get a nice hole by the offensive line. Isaac Ness has a nice cut. Setting up second and five. Ness then falls forward here. Set up third and inches. Before a holding call. Puts it at third and ten. A pass comes in a little too low. And they have to punt. Evergreen on the 26 gets a you know, nice pass but two slaps a player afterwards and they shoot themselves in the foot with a 15 yard penalty. So they go from first, like first down or first and three to second and 18. Keep your cool evergreen. Just with all of these really bad displays of a lack of discipline in this game is just debilitating, man. There's there's more to talk about with this coaching staff here, but I'll save that for, for the end summary here. But uh, no, on second and 18, a run is swallowed whole. And on third and 20, a screen is snuffed out and they have to punt. This really stupid penalty might cost Evergreen momentum was my drive summary. And maybe the game since the punt happens with five minutes left. That was the drive summary at the time. And so Northridge, they get the pull at the 42 going in. Ness runs for eight. And uh, Northridge is just eating up the clock here. But on the very next play, there is a hold. It puts at second and 14. And then great blocks, you know, sets up Damon West for 12, but he runs out of bounds. And so on third and five, they get swallowed up and Evergreen takes a timeout here and still has three and a half minutes left in this game. And so they ate up some good clock, but uh, the fans may be tarnishing the reps right now with uh, their responses here, as well as you got to stay in bounds when you're running the football this late in the game. So Evergreen. The ball on the 26-yard line and three minutes and 19 seconds. 
this is what it's all about here. This is what Simon, aka Coach V, said. This is what every quarterback dreams about right here, isn't it? And I was like, absolutely right. This is big time football. I'm very excited to see where this game goes. And on the very first play, there is a holding pa uh, holding penalty here, and it puts them at first and 21. A quick hitch almost turns into a tip drill as three just bats it up to the sky and doesn't catch it. I want to say that's like drop number five or something like that. And so on second and 21, number four does corral the pass and he gets all the way to the 42 yard line. Then there's another quick hitch to number three. This one he catches for a gain of nine. They run for a first and have the ball in the 45 going in. Zimmer stumbles and rumbles and spins forward for a first down before Cody Burkholder is helped off the field with an ankle issue, and they have the ball on the 34 going in. Tommy Paholski keeps for six, then he gets Northridge offsides. And so with two minutes, end ball on the 28 with a first, it's looking really good for Evergreen as they are just stringing together a very nice drive here. They get a nice run for seven, then on the next play here on second and three, number 12 for Northridge blows it up, and it puts third and two here where Cody Burkholder stuffs this run and on fourth and one they call a timeout here with 39 seconds remaining on the 15 going in right here right now who wants it more fourth and one evergreen calls this boring direct snap to 46 that goes for the first and they call it another timeout this drive is getting kind of underwhelming and with first and 10 on the 13 going in with 34 seconds they call a quick slant that goes all the way to the two yard line this play gets blown dead at the two and evergreen has first and goal they use their last time out and they have 26 seconds left what do you think they do here what do you think if you're a listener what do you think evergreen does here do you think that they put the ball in the hands of the quarterback that ran for two touchdowns to bring them back into the game and also threw an absolute dot to start off scoring and give them their only lead of the game that's what I would probably do is I'd probably get the ball into the hands of my best offensive player personally, but not here in Evergreen. Nope. They, um, they put in their wildcat wedge formation and they get stuffed two plays in a row and Northridge wins this game. Huge shout out to Northridge. I do not want to take anything away from them here as they did stave off this Evergreen team. But they have to be more polished here. Let's go ahead and talk about Northridge here first in this post-game summary. My expectations. Look, Northridge, I've been very high on them since the beginning, and they showed me a lot here. Cooper Rose, I think, is substantially better than what he was as a player last year. Now it's just players have to play a little bit smart. You can't make these little mental mistakes. I'd say it was the big issue with Northridge here, whether it's dropping passes or running out of bounds. I think that this team is locked and loaded. And they have a massive game to prove just how talented they are against Roosevelt later this year. But, um, you know, that is going to be a huge game. And, you know, Northridge should be looking forward to it. I think that they have the talent. I think that their offensive line and defensive line are great. Losing Steckel, I think, is part of the reason here why Evergreen starts to score more in the second half. So I, I will be interested to see what the result of that is. But either way, he's going to be there for the rest of the year. And there's maybe some questionability about whether he really did hit someone. So I don't know if it's necessarily going to be an ongoing problem here for Northridge, having to worry about players getting ejected and whatnot like that. So Northridge, huge props to them. Ran the ball really well. They have a very balanced attack. I really like their offense that they have. 
And, you know, I think that their defense is even more so talented here. And, uh, you know, we're very opportunistic. They help set up the Northridge offense with very short fields. And, I mean, the Northridge offense has to be able to do it from their own side of the field as well. But, I mean, it never hurts to score points when your defense sets you up. I think that this was an excellent test of grit, determination, and just facing a team that's more talented than their week one opponent to prepare them for the long haul and for the postseason. I really don't have too many complaints. You just got to catch the ball and cut out those little mistakes, and this game is over a lot sooner, right? Now, Evergreen. Evergreen here, they're down 26-7, and I'm like... Is this the same Evergreen team that just can't get past the first round of the playoffs? Is it a toughness issue? Is it a health issue? Is it a, you know, some kind of other issue? Because to be fair, uh, two years ago, Lori Tano was not allowed to play in that opening round of playoffs for really stupid eligibility, quote, reasonings, end quote. And, you know, that maybe we can cut some slack there. But then they definitely struggled in the first round last year and against better teams against contending teams they struggle i look at last year in that luther game or lutheran game obviously there was some outside stuff going on that did influence that game but they definitely came out a little flat uh and this right here puts a really bad taste in my mouth. i'm going to hammer evergreen in my power rankings here because the decision to not have tommy paholsky on the field is blasphemous it's idiotic and it's one of the most ridiculous things I think I may have ever seen in my experience with football. Imagine not having your best offensive player on the field with the game on the line. The wedge play and the direct snap wasn't even working that well up until this point. They would barely pick up first downs running that play. Like, very barely pick up that play. And, you know, Colorado football, they have this problem where, and I'll even quote Coach V on this a little bit, where the going gets tough. And they revert to what they know in a sense of panic. And all they know is how to run the ball. And they run the ball over and over and over again here with the game on the line. And they lose. Versus if you have Tommy in there, you can throw it or run it in. Now, there is maybe some speculation here that that initial slant pass goes in. But you sh even if they blow that whistle early, you got to leave your guy in there, man. Like, Tommy, he's he's got preferred walk-on to division one schools and he's a high-end talent here in the state of colorado and to not have not only did he not touch the ball in those final two plays he wasn't even on the field the guy who scored every one of your touchdowns wasn't even on the field how dumb do you have to be i'm not even gonna mince words it's so stupid how that game ended and it left a really bad taste in my mouth i was pretty upset for the rest of the night because that's look if Tommy's in there and it gets stopped, look, we saw it on Friday. We saw it on Friday night where Wiggins gets stopped at like the yard line by a very talented Strasburg team here. And it was against their best player, Cole Kerr, right? Strasburg proved themselves there and Cole Kerr left it all on the field and just came up shy. Tommy didn't even get that opportunity. He didn't even get that opportunity to headline this comeback. He didn't get an opportunity to you know, even be stopped at the one, like if North, if Northridge makes two good stops in a row on Tommy, then, you know, that's an even more deserved. So win than the one that they got that they did rightfully deserve, but you don't even give your guy that chance to make that play. I don't know, man, me personally, I, I, I don't understand it. I'm baffled. I'm frustrated for 
the players who did leave it all on the football field. And yeah, I mean, you can make an argument, oh, we didn't lose that game at, on that play because, you know, we can be completing passes. We could be committing less penalties, blah, 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 blah. We could be turning the ball over less. Yeah, 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 sure. But you had a chance to win the game and you didn't put your best foot forward. What does that say about this program? And it does not inspire me to believe in them for this upcoming postseason. Throughout this game, and especially during this comeback, I was like, hey, this is a team that I maybe think could contend for a state title. After that performance, they're going to have to show me a lot more. And it's not necessarily the players that have to show me more for them to win my trust back. But overall, final score, Northridge Grizzlies. They live up to the hype of the helicopter hitting midfield. And they clutch this game 26-21. to 21. Definitely going to work on those PATs. And, you know, go home victorious on September 3rd, 2022. All right, so there you go. And in other 3A news, Lutheran did beat Meade, it appears, here on Monday. They beat him 19-7 to here in this rescheduled game. That's a big game for Meade. Uh, obviously, don't have the stats right now. But regardless, a dub is a dub, and that's a good bounce-back dub for Lutheran coming back home after losing out of state week one. All right, let's talk about playmakers of the week. A lot of great playmakers here. Uh, let's go ahead and start on the 5A level, though. Here are our candidates. We've got Jordan Rochelle against Lakewood. He had 81 rushing yards, a touchdown, 10 receptions, 168 receiving yards, and two touchdowns of that game. Then we got Ethan Cook versus Boulder, 15 of 24, 285 yards, and six passing touchdowns, no turnovers. We got Liam Zarka against Fossil Ridge. He went 11 of 16 for 243 yards, three touchdowns, and got the big dub over Fossil Ridge. Then we got Carter Daniels versus Fort Collins. He really did his thing. 11 tackles, two and a half sacks, one interception, one fumble recovery, uh, one forced fumble in a beatdown of Fort Collins. Then you have Jordan Neeson against Castview. He had three interceptions on defense. And then on offense, he had 100 rushing yards, at least one rushing touchdown. And then we've got Isaac Angle in the upset win against Fountain Fort Carson. He had nine tackles and two interceptions a lot of great players here but i gotta go with the best matchup here and i'm going with isaac angle out of highlands ranch high school the senior linebacker he had nine tackles two picks that was clutch in that game to get the upset here and so that's why i'm gonna go ahead and give it to him Moving on, though, in four, we have a couple guys here. I got three, uh, but or I nailed it, narrowed it down to three. But we got Braden Tomatos Burroughs against Air Academy. Uh, he had 20 rushes, 135 rushing yards, and two rushing touchdowns for uh, wide field. Then we have Zach Stryker, the senior quarterback for Ponderosa. 10 of 14 for 118 yards, uh, three passing touchdowns. Also had 10 carries for 112 rushing yards and two rushing touchdowns versus Chaparral. Then we got Cole LaCruz, 15 of 24 for 179 yards, two passing touchdowns. Also had 98 rushing yards and three rushing touchdowns versus them. I am going to go with Braden DeMatos Burroughs versus air academy the senior running back i mean he was unstoppable in that game um obviously he scored twice but he got plenty of big time first downs for this wide field team to help them contain and uh, maintain the lead in that game versus air academy also helped them to a 2-0 start 
Moving on, I got three for 3A here. Uh, I got Marcellus Honeycutt Jr. He had two touchdowns versus 4A Falcon in a big win against them. At least two touchdowns. They haven't posted their stats yet, so there you go. But that's a pretty good, I mean, that's pretty good against a 4A Falcon team. Then I got Austin Beeson uh, for Green Mountain against Severance. He had three receptions, 50 receiving yards, and two receiving touchdowns, including a pick six in that route of Severance there. And you got Cooper Rose, a quarterback for Northridge Senior, 12 for 24, 158 passing yards, three touchdowns to one pick versus Evergreen. I am going to have to go with Austin Beeson out of Green Mountain. I mean, three total touchdowns on the day, two on offense, one on defense against a very, I mean, they were a team in Severance that was rated in our top 10. That is big time, and so that's why he will be our 3A playmaker of the week. Then on two-way, I got two guys here. I got Walker Martin. He went 13 of 17, 193 yards, three touchdowns versus University in that rivalry game. And then I have Cash Altshager. Uh, he had 22 carries for 278 rushing yards, two rushing touchdowns. Also had two receptions, 127 uh, receiving yards and two receiving touchdowns. And then on defense, had a tackle and an, and an interception versus Highland for Wellington's first win in program history and i'm gonna have to go with cash altshager like i said if i'm saying that wrong i apologize but out of wellington high school not only did he put up an excellent stat line but that obviously helped in their first program dub which is historic against highland so there you go then on 1A, I got three guys. You have Nolan Shepard out of Flatirons Academy. The senior quarterback, had uh, he won 5 of 9 for 116 passing yards and one passing touchdown. Most notably, though, he rushed 16 times for 144 rushing yards and three rushing touchdowns versus Platte Canyon. Uh, then I got Keegan Gunter out of Monte Vista. He had 17 carries for 175 rushing yards and four rushing touchdowns. Also had 10 receptions for 112 yards um, there against Colorado Springs Christian. And then last but not least, I got Austin Velasco out of Strasburg, the junior receiver. He had seven receptions, 97 yards, and two touchdowns versus Wiggins. And I'm actually going to have to give this one to Austin Velasco out of Strasburg. Uh, seven receptions, 97 yards, two touchdowns. He really helped open up this game for Strasburg here and caught a couple key touchdowns that will help them win that double overtime thriller over a very good Wiggins team. So there you go. Our playmakers of the week on the 5A level, it's Isaac Angle out of Highlands Ranch, uh, senior linebacker. On 4A, it's Braden DeMontos Burroughs, the senior running back out of Widefield. On 3A, it is Austin Beeson, uh, I believe senior out of Green Mountain. On 2A, it is Cash Altshager. Uh, I want to say he's either a sophomore or a freshman. He's an underclassman, so he's young, out of Wellington. And then on the 1A level, we got junior Strasburg receiver Austin Velasco. So there you go. Those are your playmakers of the week. Let's move on, though, and let's talk about power rankings starting on the 1A level. Also, by the way, in case you forgot how we do our power rankings, Myself and Cody are the only ones on this podcast that do them. We rank teams 1 through 10. If you're at number 1, you get 10 points. Number 2, 9 points. Number 3, 8 points and so forth. Then we add those points up. And so whoever has the most points is higher up on 
the list. So the maximum amount of points you can get is 20 if we both rank you at number one. So that means you get 10 points. So just keep that in mind. Uh, there wasn't a whole ton of changes here, but there are definitely some. So in 1A, like I said, we're going to go ahead and actually start at number 10 for all of these here. And at number 10, we have Rye. They move up. Uh, they were not ranked at our top 10 last week. They didn't play a game last week, but this week they go into Manu 2 Springs and win in a one score game against a 2A squad. Like I said, they got the dub here. Now, they are also moving up because other teams such as Colorado Springs Christian, at least in my personal rankings, fell out. And I had Rye actually ranked higher than uh, Cody had uh, Colorado Springs Christian ranked, which he still had in his top 10. So there you go. Rye does move up here, though. At number nine, though, we got Meeker. Now, Meeker, you know, had a had a tough week. They played Lyman, which is never an easy thing to do here. And so for that, I mean, Lyman, they're still, for me, I had them rated at number one. Last week, uh, they were not quite at number one, but they're in the top three or so. And so for that, I am going to keep, we're going to keep Meeker here at number nine. They lost the Lyman 42 to 14. They're still a young squad, though. We'll see what happens as the season go on. I'm not super worried about it. Then, coming up next, we have two teams tied for 7th slash 8th. And so we have Banning Lewis Academy and Centauri. Uh, both had very different weeks. Banning Lewis Academy got a huge blowout win over Jefferson. While Centauri, they got to play 2A Florence. And, you know, without their star running back, they were not quite able to get it done as they lost to Florence 29-7. to And so because of that, Banning Lewis Academy moves up. Uh, and Centauri actually moves down two spots here after a tough loss there now going into this next week week three both teams have some pretty significant competition banning lewis academy will be playing yuma away on thursday and so we'll see if we could beat them i believe Yuma's also 2-0 wow centauri is moving on to play buena vista away this friday and buena vista being a top tier team that is not gonna be an easier matchup than this florence one so we'll see what happens but for now like i said i have banning loose academy we have banning loose academy and centauri tied here for seven slash eight now moving on we have another tie at five slash six we got wiggins and monta vista both tied here Wiggins obviously losing a tough double overtime game to Strasbourg, and so they're moving down one spot compared to last week, while Monta Vista getting a very dominant win over Colorado Springs Christian here in week two, and so for that, Monta Vista moves up two spots, but for now, both of these teams are tied here, uh, you know, Wiggins, they kind of, they could have won that game, they honestly could have won that game, but they kind of found themselves in a hole early on, and so that was just a tough uh, comeback there. A tough comeback to make their away and after multiple delays. Now, Monte Vista, you know, they beat Colorado Springs Christian pretty easily here. Next Friday, they got Gunnison. Gunnison, you know, they've won a couple of games. They should be able to beat them, but, you know, you never know. We'll see what happens there. Open. I think I forgot to say who Wiggins is going to play next week. They play Rocky Ford next week at home. That should be that should be a win. I'd be surprised if it wasn't. So there you go. But after that, their next opportunity to move up here would be playing Platte Valley on Saturday, September 17th. That's an away game. Platte Valley is a 2A team. 
We'll see what happens. Moving on though, at number 4 we have Ray, and they're actually moving down one spot compared to last week here. And honestly, the only reason they're moving down is because some other teams we believe should be moving up. Uh, for example, Ray, I mean, you know, they beat Goodland 36-16. That was probably a team they should beat. The teams ahead of them either have been undefeated and we've had them ranked ahead of them, or we feel like they played better competition this week, so... Just keep that in mind. But number three here, we have Buena Vista. Uh, Buena Vista actually moves down two here. But they didn't play a game here in week two. Um, for the same reason move, we moved down Ray, it's because we liked uh, the teams ahead of them and uh, what they had to show against better quality opponents. Now Buena Vista, they got a solid win over Salida last week. And so this week they had a little bit of a break. But going into the next week, they play Centauri, who at this point, they really should be able to beat here. Uh, there's no excuses as they don't have their starting running back. So we'll see what happens. And honestly, uh, after that, they play Gunnison. And then Lyman would probably be their next best bet to move up here in these power rankings. But uh, from here on out, they really should be favored uh, leading into that Lyman game so there you go like i said they moved down two spots to number three but they did a pretty good job here now at number two this is the team that we have a lot of faith in a team that we were pretty sold on once we got to see them live and so maybe it's a little bit of recency bias but they battled through a lot of adversity and they beat a tough team in double overtime. That's right. I have Strasburg. We have Strasburg here moving up four spots to number two. I mean, beating Wiggins, that was a good game. And honestly, I know it said 29-28 in double overtime. But uh, before the lightning delay, they were kind of dominating this team and had a chance to put it away in the fourth quarter. Now, you know, obviously an hour delay is going to throw a wrench into things. And that happens for both teams. And so things happened, but they still found a way to get it done. And after seeing this team live, I mean, I really like the size they have up front. Their defense played well. They showed that they could beat you in a couple ways. It's not just running the ball. They could go through the air and beat you as well. And so they have a absolute challenge against Lyman, who, you guessed it, moves to number one in our rankings. I had them at number one in my personal rankings last week. Cody finally puts them here at number one as well. And so we'll see what happens. I mean, Lyman, they took care of business versus Meeker. They beat them by, you know, double digits and whatnot. That's great. Now going into this week, they got a good Strasburg team. You know, I mean, this is definitely a game that either team really could win. Should be a nice battle between these two top teams and so once again the 1a power rankings go Rai at 10 Meeker at 9 tied at 7 we have Banning Lewis Academy and Centauri tied at 5 we have Wiggins and Monta Vista then at 4 we have Ray 3 Buena Vista 2 Strasburg uh, surging up and then at number 1 we got Lyman so there you go those are your 1a power rankings now here in 2a we got a lot of the same here I uh, I moved up a team, and this is in my personal rankings, and that eventually affected these rankings here. I moved up a team one, and so that kind of affects that, but let's go ahead and hop into it. Uh, at number 10, we got Moffitt County. They won, so they stay here. Now, the one difference here is Basalt 
and Elizabeth. We have them tied for eight. Technically, Basalt moves down one, and Elizabeth moves up one. I like their win against Burlington, so there you go. Uh, but, I mean, you know, Basalt, they still won their game. And then, basically, the rest stay the same. Platte Valley stays at seven. Uh, Florence and the Academy uh, are basically tied here at five and so they stay there la hunta stays at four delta stays at three you know they didn't even play a game this last week they got a forfeit win so there you go eden bounce back and win but they stay at two for now uh tca they get a huge blow dub against harrison but you can't move up higher than one so they stay there so compared to last week i mean basically the exact same nothing crazy really happening there so there you go those are your 2a power rankings Right, let's talk 3a power rankings we got a bit of a shake up here let me go ahead and remind you the 3a week one power rankings from last week but at 10 we got frederick nine mead eight severance tied for six we have lutheran and holy family at five we got durango tied for third was green mountain and northridge and then tied for first we had roosevelt and evergreen now going into this week's power rankings there's a little bit more separation uh at number 10 is holy family they actually move up here uh cody had them ranked a lot higher than i did i didn't have them ranked at all uh but they lost the broomfield by like 50 or so points something crazy still though that's a good 4a team so that's why i'm sure they're up here uh, at number nine, I got we got Resurrection Christian. They move up. They were not ranked last week, but two impressive wins here have moved them up. Combined with a couple of losses, so there you go. They're two and zero right now, I believe. Um, yes, they are two and zero. They beat Moffat County last week. Now, new to the top 10 with their first appearance at number 8 is Pueblo East. Uh, they have moved up into the top 10. Had two very quality wins these last two weeks. One against Cheyenne Mountain, a 4A team. And then they beat Pueblo County, who was ranked in our top 10 last week. And so, that is a pretty big dub for this Pueblo East team as they are 2-0. And they actually get to play another, they get to play a couple uh, teams ranked ahead of them. And 2-0 La Hunta, and then 1-1 one one Lutheran here in the next two weeks there. So, we'll see. They could definitely rise up um, even more here in this top 10. Now, at number 7, we got Mead. They did lose 19-7 to to Lutheran. But, and that was at home as well. But, you know, like I said, lightning delays happened. It's kind of tough having to play a game two or three days later after a weekend and all that stuff. And they, you know, it could be argued that they did that to themselves. They could have uh, scheduled this on Saturday the next day, but they didn't. And, you know, because of that, uh, they're here at number seven. Uh, technically, still, though, they do move up a couple of spots. They played a quality opponent, and that was a winnable game, so... There you go, plus a couple other teams lost, so uh, because of that, they're here at 7. Now, at 6, we got Evergreen, and they have dropped 5 spots. Remember last week, they were at number, um, they were at number 1, you know, tied for number 1 technically, but they played Northridge, and Northridge, gotta give him credit, played a great game. But Evergreen definitely had a chance to win that one. I think that's a sentiment that myself and Cody believed, uh, just... I don't, I don't blame the players, really. I mean, you know, they could have played better, obviously, in the first half or so and not be, go down three scores. But they definitely had a chance to win it, and I just did not... I mean, nobody really agreed with the play calling, 
you know. I mean, they ran it five or six times and used two of their three timeouts, and they took out their best player who led them back and then moved their second best player to the other side. I don't know. Playing too much with fire here. You were playing too much with fire, and so for that, you get freaking burnt. And it's not because, you know, of the players, like I said, but you play too much, you move down. You know, we need to see improvement from this coaching staff is my honest opinion and Cody's honest opinion and Gideon's honest opinion since our intern was there as well. And he's just an intern. So not that, you know, that's a bad thing, but there you go there. And so for that, they move down five spots. They need to prove themselves and they need to get some quality dubs here. Now, at number five, we got Durango. They just stay here. I mean, they moved up last week to five, and they stay here at five. They lost to a tough Piedra Vista team. I mean, had their chance, came down to a couple plays, uh, like, well, two plays technically there in the fourth quarter, and it just didn't go their way. That happens. I mean, with all the movement here in this top ten, we didn't really felt like they deserved to move up. Uh, or or down for that matter. So for now, they stay right here at five. Now, at number four, we got a team that has moved up two spots, at least compared to last week. They're actually tied with another team last week, and that is Lutheran High School. Uh, in week one, they lost to a tough team from Missouri, a team from Missouri that's probably going to contend for state just like they did last year. They only lost a handful of games last year, and one of them was to Lutheran. This time around, you know, they couldn't beat them. But Lutheran comes back home, shakes that off, and despite all the challenges, they go ahead and beat Meade 19-7 away on the road on two separate days. That is pretty impressive, you know, and that's a big-time win over a good program there, and so for that, they move up two spots. Now, at number three, we got Northridge, and technically they were at number three last week, but they were tied for three now there's no ties here in the top three but we have northridge and it is very close like literally the point totals for these top threes go 19 18 17 but northridge they get a very good and convincing dub over evergreen and so evergreen moves below them for that reason and northridge moves up technically you know they're not tied with the team anymore but you know like i said that was definitely a game Evergreen could have won. I do admire Northridge's toughness as well. Playing through adversity, I know uh, for some reason one of their linebackers got kicked out. I didn't really see that call, but whatever. I'm going to trust the refs on that one. And then, you know, a bunch of other things happened. But I really, really liked what I saw. This offensive line did as good a job as they could against some tough pass rushers in Russ Woodward, Jordan Turnbull, those guys. And then offensively, Isaac Ness, he did his thing. Didn't score any touchdowns, but, you know, definitely could have in this game if they asked him to. But Cooper Rose really impressed me. You know, did go, I mean, he completed 50% of his passes, which isn't good or great or bad, technically. But did throw three touchdowns, looked on point at times, and looked really sharp. He's only going to get better. And so I expect Northridge to get better and potentially move up here in these rankings. Um, they're a team that is a, I would say they're a number one team in the state in four or in 3a that is a number one team in the state caliber kind of squad you know but beating evergreen 26 to 21 in a close one 
we'll see you know and even even in these next couple weeks they got they kind of got some easier games i mean they play Greeley central next week Greeley west both of those games they should win uh, then after that they got eagle valley and mountain view same thing both of those games they should win but this last half of the schedule is where things really get tough and is probably where we could see them move up significantly they play roosevelt who as you could tell i mean they didn't lose so they're not ranked below evergreen or northridge they're not ranked below evergreen either but you know they play roosevelt that'll be a chance to move up maybe even take the number one spot I'm looking at Resurrection Christian and Severance at the end. Both of those teams are probably going to be teams ranked in the top 10. And so we'll see from there. But for now, I believe Northridge has a very good hold on this number three spot. And so unless a team in these in this top two loses, I don't really see them moving up until they play Roosevelt October 13th. And we'll see the outcome of that game. Now at number two, we have Green Mountain. And like I said, it was close. It literally went 19, 18, 17 uh, in total points. Green Mountain, we had them at 18 points. Uh, technically for us, though, they still move up two spots. I mean, they had a dominant, and I mean dominant, win over number eight sevens where they just shut them out. They did not score any points, and they won by like 40 or something crazy like that. And so last week, I mean, Green Mountain, they were tied at three. Um... Not that that was more impressive than Northridge beating Evergreen, but it was a dominant win. And so for that, I couldn't move them below Northridge. And that was more of a Green Mountain just playing very well uh, type of deal uh, rather than, you know, Northridge not being good enough. So there you go. And also, you got to remember, this is a Green Mountain team that is pretty much returning everyone from last year they only had two seniors last year and so in the preseason they're ranked high enough uh for that very reason and so until they lose you know they're gonna kind of maintain the spot right here and then now at number one you guessed it is roosevelt they had a dominant win over kennedy winning by like 30 plus points did a very good job there uh last week they were tied with evergreen at number one now they are the sole team at number one here in 3a according to our pmc power rankings after week two i mean roosevelt man they are on a roll here we knew what they would be this could definitely be their year dare i say it but we'll see what happens they play some tough teams here uh moving forward they got a rivalry game against fort morgan luckily that's at home uh, but after that they play 4a highlands ranch who has been playing some good football lately so we'll see what happens there and then they got holy family res northridge and severance all teams that are ranked here in the top 10 or were ranked at one point so we'll see about that i mean they won't really get challenged until uh, they play probably Highlands Ranch or Holy Family. And at that point, we could talk about potentially moving them down and moving one of the other teams up. But for now, your 3A power rankings as of week two is Holy Family at 10, Resurrection Christian at 9, Pueblo East at 8, Mead at 7, Evergreen at 6, Durango at 5, Lutheran at 4, Northridge at 3, Green Mountain at 2, and at number one, we got Roosevelt. 
so there you go all right now in 4a we do have a little bit of movement here on the 4a level most of it is on the back end but let me go ahead and read off last week's power rankings after week one but at number 10 we had broomfield nine vista ridge Fruita Monument at 8, Dakota Ridge at 7, Loveland at 6, Pondo, uh, Ponderosa at 5, Denver South at 4, Erie at 3, Pueblo West at 2, and Palmer Ridge at number 1. Now, let's go ahead and talk about this week uh, and all that great stuff. At number 10, we got Vista Ridge. Uh, they moved down one spot. Now, they did beat Far Northeast. Was a little bit closer than we expected. I mean, still some things they could clean up on offense and all of that great stuff. At this point, honestly, we just need to see a cleaner game from Vista Ridge. They've been making a lot of mistakes, a lot more than usual. One of them, you know, still resulted in a win. The other one, they lost by three points to a 5A legend team, uh, which isn't the worst loss in the world. So we'll see. Now, this next week, they get to play Pine Creek. Um, and it's gonna be at Pine Creek. Not that that's the farthest drive. It's literally like five minutes away And I know that because I live five minutes away from the stadium and myself and Cody will be there I'm sure a lot of people will be there for a nice matchup here And so if Vista Ridge beats Pine Creek There's a pretty good chance that they move up into the top 10 and stop or they're already in the top 10 Move up further in the top 10 and kind of stop this slide here. So We'll see, but uh, moving on though, at number 9, we got Broomfield. They move up one spot. I mean, they played Holy Family. We expected them to win. We didn't expect them to put up 60 points and for their backup quarterbacks to get in and score a touchdown himself. Uh, that's just something we did not see happening, but, you know, it did. And so for that, they are really impressive. This Broomfield team, you know, starting the season strong believe they are now 2-0 which is a very big difference compared to last year's season so there you go there now at number eight they are moving down a spot we have dakota ridge uh, last week they're at seven this week they moved down to eight they only played one half but that's all they needed columbine a 5a team and a good 5a team at that one ahead and just beat them Honestly in that first half before a lightning delay took over I believe they were leading something like 35 to 7 and they just called it at that point and so One may argue You know, they only played one half. It could have been a closer game. It probably could have been a closer game You know, obviously if they scored some points and whatnot But the chances of them coming back and scoring 28 straight points and stopping this Columbine offense <sighs> That would have been a tough ask, you know, and so, but we never know. And so for that, they stay, they get to stay in the top 10. They only move down one spot, but uh, we'll see. I mean, they're going to have to start winning soon here because, you know, starting 0-2 and being in the top 10 is just not the greatest look here, but we know the talent this Dakota Ridge team has and all that. And, you know, we know the coaching talent they have as well and so hopefully they move forward they do play mesa ridge next week which you know is a lot easier of a team than pueblo west or columbine and so but still a challenge i mean mesa ridge is probably gonna make the playoffs i actually believe mesa ridge is one and one well they're one and one at this point but they lost to palmer ridge 28 to 7 and so 
We'll see what happens. That should be a competitive game. But Dakota Ridge should take care of business and win. And if they don't, then they're in kind of, well, they're in trouble. They're 0-3, so that's not acceptable. But let's go ahead and move on, though. At number 6, we have two teams tied here for 6-7. We have Ponderosa and Loveland. Uh, technically, Ponderosa moves down one. They won a good one against Chaparral, though. Blew them out, did their thing. Zach Stryker had a great game. Uh, Loveland, I believe they got a pretty easy dub against Mountain View. Blew them out as well, and so they stay here. The only reason Ponderosa is moving down is because I, in my personal rankings, had another team moving up. And it's not because, I'm, like I said, it's not because either of those teams played bad. But uh, there you go, Ponderosa and Loveland here tied for six. Moving forward, they should at least stay in the top 10 or around this spot here. I mean, Loveland, they play Pomona. They are kind of having a down year. Actually, really, Loveland won't play a, an opponent in the top 10 until they play Erie on September 30th. And so, there you go. That would be their best chance to move up uh, the most, probably this regular season in general as well. Ponderosa, on the other hand, they have their hands full with the matchup against Golden this Saturday, but they do play Palmer Ridge and Denver South two weeks from now. Um, week, I mean, back to back, week by week there. Uh, so there you go. That would be a good chance for them to continue to move up and whatnot. Don't overlook Legend, though. Legend, they are winning a couple games. If Legend beats them, then that could potentially stop their rise as well so so there you go now at number five this is a team that i have moved up personally because i was very impressed with their win from this last week here and that is fruta monument they move up three spots after going down to eight last week they had a very dominant win over montrose a team that's not bad and doesn't run a bad system I mean, technically, the the system that Montrose runs makes it very hard to go up by multiple scores. But Fruita Monument did it, and they did it without really having to pass the ball, too. So, for that, Fruita Monument takes a nice spot here in the top 10 uh, for the first time this season. So, there you go there. Now, Fruita Monument, they will be playing a Skyline team this Friday. Uh, that could potentially be a trap game. We'll see what happens. You know, but Skyline, they're not bad. And after that, they play Grandview, a 5A team. If they beat Grandview, that would be a huge upset. And Fruita Monument could definitely see, you know, a little bit of a a little bit of a skyrocket upwards into that number one or at least more into that top five spot here. Now, after this, the top four teams are basically all, all the same. At number four, we had Denver South. I mean, they blew out Denver East. It was not close at all. They made an example out of them. And so, I mean, they, they should have, you know, done that. But still, very impressive dub there. For that, they get to stay at this number four spot. And it's not because they're not talented or any of that stuff. It's just because, I mean, these other teams, they had pretty solid wins of their own. Uh, Denver South, they get Longmont next week. And really, they won't get a shot at another top 10 team, at least currently, until they play Ponderosa on September 29th. So we'll see about that. Now, at number three, we got Erie, and Erie, they beat Mullen, a 5A team, a solid 5A team, not like a top 10 team, at least according to us, but they beat him, 
you know, avenged, well, not avenged, but got back on track after they lost to Ponderosa 39-27 last week. They beat Mullen by 20, so that's pretty good. Next week, they play Montrose. We'll see how that goes. You know, Montrose, I mean, they're still probably a playoff team. After that, they pull Broomfield, which is in our top 10. Windsor, who is just outside of our top 10, but is there. And Loveland, who is in our top 10. So some very tough schools for Erie coming up here, especially on this stretch. So we'll see if they get a chance to move up here. Most likely another team will have to lose. Speaking of teams that will have to lose, we got Pueblo West High School. They are here still at number two. Uh, played Pueblo County, took care of Pueblo County, beat them 41-7. to Now they will get a chance at the number one team in Palmer Ridge. Uh, on October 7th and so that's definitely uh, a date that we got to look out for there I mean Palmer Ridge they are currently still the number one team uh, spoilers of course but you know they're they're still looking good so we'll see what happens now for Pueblo West they gotta keep winning though and these next couple weeks they got Fountain Fort Carson, Far Northeast and Mesa Ridge in my opinion, they're better than all of these teams. I mean, Fountain Fort Carson, they just lost to Highlands Ranch. So, there you go there. Mesa Ridge lost to Palmer Ridge. Far Northeast lost to Vista Ridge. They all lost to teams that, you know, I believe Pueblo West is at least a little bit better than. And so, or, or on the same level, or on the same level. I'm going to say that as well. And so, we'll see. They should win these next couple games, but it's not like they're not going to get challenged. So, there you go there and at number one like i said for the second straight week we got palmer ridge palmer ridge played a solid mesa ridge team and they beat them no late game heroics or craziness this year but they go ahead and beat them 28 to 7 and keep this number one spot now they got lewis palmer that's a rivalry game lewis palmer i believe they're 2-0 as well uh so we'll see palmer ridge is still you know favored in this one so they should beat him but we'll see about that then after that, they got Smoky Hill, who has been kind of... They've been on the rise here in 5A, so we'll see about them. Ponderosa, they're in the top 10 here. Pueblo West, they're right behind them. And then you got Vista Ridge at the end of the season. So, Palmer Ridge, it's not like they're going to go the season without being challenged. They're going to be challenged at least three or four times by top 10 teams. And how they reply is up to them, and so we'll see. But for now, our Week 2 4A Power Rankings is Vista Ridge at 10. Broomfield at 9, Dakota Ridge at 8, Ponderosa and Loveland tied here at 6, Fruita, Monu Fruita Monument moving up at 5, Denver South uh, here at 4, Erie at 3, Pueblo West at 2, and Palmer Ridge at number 1. Alright, now we got 5A power rankings here. Before I get into these, uh, go ahead and look at 1 through 4A if you want to. If not, you could stay right here, but I'm going to go ahead and explain the process real quick one more time here uh, so that way you listen to how we do these power rankings either at the beginning of these uh, power rankings updates with 1a or right here at the end and so uh, basically what we do myself and Cody we're the only ones who rank we rank teams 1 through 10 and if you're ranked at number one you get 10 points um, that's 10 points each for myself and Cody at 2 is 9 3 8 4 7 and so on and so on the team with the most points is ranked higher and so uh, if you want to be ranked at number one and you know if that's a unanimous thing then uh, 
both of us would have to vote for you at number one, and that would mean you would have 20 points, and then so on and so on and so on. And so that's how we do these things. Um, and that's basically the average when we get to these power rankings. But let me go ahead and give you an update, or, well, before the update, let me tell you how last week's power rankings went, then I'll give you the update. But... Tied at 9, uh, slash 10, we had Rock Canyon and Fairview at 8, Ralston Valley, 7, Thunder Ridge, 6, Pine Creek. Tied at 4 was Columbine and Grandview. At 3, we had Valor Christian, 2, Regis Jesuit, and 1, Cherry Creek. So, there you go there. Not too many changes here in this top 10 for 5A, but we did have some separation here. At number 10, we got Fairview. Technically, they were tied for 9, slash 10 last week, so... If you want to say, I mean, they moved down one. At least uh, they would have moved down one in either myself or Cody's ranking. So there you go. But technically, they're still at the same spot here. I mean, had a dominant win over Lakewood. That was a good confidence booster there for that Fairview offense and the team as a whole. But definitely a game they should have won. So nothing crazy there. But next week, <laughs> on Friday the 9th, they play Valor Christian. The 1-1 one one Valor Christian in so... We'll see how that game goes. They There will be a chance for them to beat Valor. But we'll see. You know, they're going to have to play well. Uh, Valor Christian, they've gotten better each week. And so, you know, and Valor, they're still in our top five. Spoiler alert. So there you go. But that'll be their chance to move up. Plus, this is a home game. So if you're a Fairview fan, you got to pack the stands for this one. got to. After that, they take on Horizon, Douglas County, a couple other teams, but no other teams currently here in the top 10. And so, if they lose to Valor, I mean, they'll probably still be here in the top 10. But uh, if they beat him, that'll, you know, they, they might move up. Uh, well, they will move up for sure. We'll see how many spots, though. Now, here at number 9, the sole possessor of this 9 spot here and so technically they moved up one but they're tied with fairview last week was rock canyon they beat smoky hill who is not in our top 10 but they are a playoff team at least according to myself and cody and so they beat them they took care of business had a good fourth quarter played good defense and that was a competitive game and so they go ahead and get that one and move to two and no which is a good confidence booster for this rock canyon team and whatnot obviously i mean smoky hill they don't have i mean they don't have uh anthony harris jr anymore shout out to him he caught a touchdown on the university of northern colorado this last weekend which made me really happy uh, for him obviously but you know Still, though, they have Tyleek Bowers and then a good line. So, not a bad team to beat here in Smoky Hill. Now, Rock Canyon, they move on and they play Denver East. Denver East, they're 0-3. They just, you know, let Denver South put 60 on him. I think Rock Canyon should be able to at least beat them. Now, the best chance for Rock Canyon to continue to move up is probably this mountain vista team on october 7th they play chaparral arapahoe highlands ranch those are all teams that i feel like they should beat now they play mountain vista you know that's a team that's just outside our top 10 but they are knocking on that door and so we'll see about that if not mountain vista then you got valor the week after that that should be a good game so we'll see about that and then if not valor then you got thunder ridge at the end of the season and so there should be multiple opportunities for rock canyon to move up here in the top 10 and stay right here in the top 10 now at number eight they stay right here and that's ralston valley ralston valley you know they lost their week one matchup to cherry creek granted and it was a closer game than some would have expected 
But then they go out of state and they play Colonial, I believe, and they absolutely blew them out. Now, it's not like that Colonial team was super great, but going out of state and doing all that, that deserves their respect. And so I'm actually just going to, we're just going to keep Ralston Valley right here at eight for now. Now, this next week, Ralston Valley, they do get to play Grandview, who is ranked ahead of them. And so if they beat them, then they potentially move up. Now, if they lose to them, I really can't see them moving too far down here. But, you know, Ralston Valley, after that Grandview game, they play Regis and then Valor. Uh, after Lakewood, they play Columbine. You know, they, they play a number of teams that should, you know, keep them here in the top 10, whether they win or lose, as long as they don't get, like, blown out like conse consecutive weeks in a row which i don't think they will and they'll probably win one of these games as well despite having a bit of a tougher schedule so there you go that's ralston valley at number six slash seven we have another tie we have pine creek who stays here and then we have thunder ridge who moves up a spot uh pine creek they lost to valor christian i mean it says it's by two scores but this was a very close game a winnable game it just came down to some a couple big plays here in the fourth quarter by Valor, which, I mean, they were easily erased if you're Pine Creek, to be honest with you. So I'm not really concerned about Pine Creek that much. They played Valor pretty competitively there. So they stay here at six. Uh, they were here last week. Now, Thunder Ridge, on the other hand, they played a Douglas County team who, in my our opinion, is, you know, a little bit better than Arvada West here. And, you know, this is a Douglas County team that should probably make the playoffs. And, man, Thunder Ridge absolutely slaughtered Douglas County. And they put it to him. I mean, they put in their backups by the second half. Like I said, Senior Cooper Keir, he has been doing a good job, or he did a good job this game. And so for now, you know, his job is definitely safe, as he has earned it. Now, playing Lakewood, this really isn't a team that you should lose to. This is a team that they should beat. But obviously, you know, Thunder Ridge, they play in the same league as Rock Canyon, Valor Christian, all these other cats. They're going to get their chance to move up. You'll just have to see. So there you go there. Um, tied at six, Pine Creek and Thunder Ridge. Now at number five, we got Grandview. Uh, technically, you know, they stay in the same spot. Last week, they were tied at fourth, uh, fourth slash fifth with another team. And so there you go. But right now, Grandview's at number five. It's not because they lost. They blew out Fossil Ridge, which is, uh, I mean, that's a quality program. That's a team that will probably make the playoffs. At least I believe they should, you know, uh, but not in our top 10, you know. Uh, the team ahead of them, though, they did beat a team. Well, they're a 4 a team, but they were considered a pretty good 4 a team in Dakota Ridge. And so moving on here real quick, uh, we got Columbine. Columbine, I mean, the game was so lopsided, they called it at half. Uh, also, there is lightning delay, so it wasn't just that. But Columbine, I mean, they continue to show that they have one of the best front sevens in all football, a dominant offensive line as well. Great run game as well. The rise of uh, Taylor, I believe it's Mark Taylor or something like that, has really caught the eyes of some people around the state, including us. And so we'll see about Columbine here. Um, but Columbine, they got a number of winnable games, games that aren't just winnable but favorable for them. They played Cherokee Trail this week, Arapahoe next week, Fort Collins, Pomona. The real threat, their biggest threat of the season is probably Ralston Valley. That should be a good one, but other than that, I mean, they really should take care of business against the rest of the teams that they have 
for this season. No excuses for them to lose, to be honest with you. So we'll see. For them to move up, they probably need some teams here in the top four or so to lose. One of those teams is Valor Christian. Now, Valor Christian, they play Pine Creek. Pine Creek, they're a good program. You know, some might say, oh, they're new to 4A. Yes, they're new to, or sorry, they're new to 5A. Uh, yes, they're new to 5A, but they have played 5A talents the last couple of years. This wasn't that big of a jump for, you know, for Pine Creek. This was a very quality opponent and actually a team that I had being Valor Christian, but Valor Christian bounce back they go ahead and defeat pine creek here take care of business really in that fourth quarter and come alive and that's what you love to see there and so for that they stay at this number three spot getting a quality dub now next week they play fairview uh you know we'll see that's a team that loves to pass the ball got a ton of weapons have a solid quarterback back there have a good quarterback you know and so we'll see if they beat him but that should be a quality dub another if they win then that's another win in the top 10 after that they play uh, an out-of-state team in liberty then they play ralston valley after that that'll be a chance to move up potentially as well then they got quality wins against rock canyon thunder ridge and mountain vista who are all their league games so definitely a lot of games that valor could lose here i mean they're playing a tough schedule they're gonna get challenged every week and so we'll see if they continue to win then they stay here at the least it's probably gonna take one of these top two teams uh to lose here to be fairly honest with you and ironically enough both of these teams lost but they lost to good opponents at number two we have regis jesuit still lost oaks christian that was a one score game that was a winnable game not really not really concerned about that i mean oaks christian they're uh they're a solid squad did have regis beating them but you know it is what it is regis though they'll play a rapo after that then they get ralston valley a top 10 team then they get uh regis gets cherry creek for a battle for that number one spot here in 5a they get them on thursday september 22nd so that will be a good one so we'll see about that and then following that just other teams on their schedule pine creek you know, that's another team that you might want to look out for. But that's a later problem. You know, they got some big teams to look out for uh, here soon. Now, at number one, despite losing, we still have Cherry Creek. They lost to St. Edward, but St. Edward, uh, their team from Ohio. I mean, they have played teams from all over the country, from the West Coast to the East Coast to, you know, the Midwest, all that stuff. They're a dominant program. And on top of that, they also won their league and went undefeated in Ohio, and I assume one state. So, St. Edwards, they're a very good team. And for Cherry Creek to only lose to them 9-13, despite their quarterback position not being solidified yet is pretty good you know they're only hitting uh the tip of the iceberg here and if you remember last year i mean they played a tough team and all that uh from out of state lost to them but they got better as the season went on and you could expect that out of them uh, especially since they play chatfield here who is kind of struggling and whatnot which they should beat so there you go there then they got arvada west after that solid team and they play regis jesuit that'll be a battle for that number one spot and a chance for them to defend it and then just looking at uh you know the rest of the season they do have grandview at the end which could be a big game as well and so we'll see but for now cherry creek remains at number one and so your 5A week two power rankings go Fairview at 10, Rock Canyon at 9, uh, Ralston Valley at 8, Pine Creek and Thunder Ridge tied at 6, 
Grandview at 5, Columbine at 4, Valor Christian at 3, Regis Jesuit at 2, and Cherry Creek at 1. Alright, well, that is this episode. Thank you so much for rocking with us. I mean, these recap episodes are obviously long, but we do put in a lot of work into these episodes. And so if you want to, you know, continue getting updates on power rankings playmakers of the week games that we will be to which by the way we will always release the games that we'll be at uh for sure on thursdays then go ahead and follow us on social media at playmakers corner on facebook instagram and twitter you know usually we'll be posting updates from the games we're at live so there you go but in addition you should go ahead and follow slash subscribe to us on tiktok youtube twitch as well we put out content there all the time on our tiktoks you could see actual highlights from the games we are at so you could check that out those are always a good time but uh thank you so much for rocking with us and we will catch you later